The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Uh, so, like, we're going to just sit here and talk for a long time, huh? Yeah, we were started right now. We were started. It has begun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what was your question, though? I was going to ask, you know, like, what if something comes up? You know, like what? Like what? You, know, you know, you need to like pee or something. Oh, you like can it. totally do you that. Do yeah, that. we'll just pause and okay. just run out and pee. Right. That happens. Okay. Don't sweat it. All right, all right. I want you to be comfortable. All Have right. you ever done a podcast before? First time. Really? First time. Um. So tell me how where Signal came from. What What was the impetus? What was? How did it get started? It's a long story. So okay. we got time. We got <laughs> yeah, plenty we got of time. time. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you know, I think ultimately what we're trying to do with Signal is um, stop mass surveillance to bring some normality to the internet and to uh, explore a different way of developing technology that might ultimately serve all of us better. We should tell people, maybe people just tuning in, Signal is an app that is, uh, explain how it works and what, what it does. I use it. It's a uh, it's a messaging app. It's a messaging app, yeah. Yeah. But fundamentally, it's just a messaging app. Yes. Yeah. Explain lof- lofty aspirations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a messaging app, um, but it's um, somewhat different from the the way the rest of technology works because um, it uh, is encrypted. So, um, you know, uh, if typically, you know, if you want to send somebody a message. Uh, I think most people's expectation is that when they write a message and they, you know, press send, that the people who can see that message are the person who wrote the message and the intended recipient. But that's not actually the case. Uh, there's, you know, tons of people who are in between, who are monitoring these things, who are collecting data information. And Signal's different because uh, we've designed it so that we don't have access to uh, that information. So. When you send an SMS, that is the least secure of all messages. So if you have an Android phone and you use a standard messaging app and you send a message to one of your friends, that is the least of all it comes to, when it comes to security, right? That's, uh, yeah, it's a low bar. That's, uh, That's the low bar. Yeah. And then iPhone, what is this? Signal. It's, it's oh, there it's you go. Showing it. Yeah. So iPhones use iMessage, which is slightly more secure, but it gets uploaded to the cloud and it's a part of their iCloud service. So it goes to some servers and then goes to the other person. It's encrypted along the way, but it's still, it can be intercepted. Yeah. I mean, okay. So there's uh, like Jeff Bezos' situation. uh, Yeah. Like Jeff Bezos' situation. Exactly. Yeah. There's like fundamentally, there's two ways to think about uh, security. One is uh, like computer security. Uh, this idea that we'll somehow make computers secure. We'll put information on the computers, and then we'll prevent other people from accessing those computers. And that is like a losing strategy that people have been losing for 30 years. You know, uh, you information ends up on a computer somewhere, and it ends up compromised in the end. The other way to think about security is information security, where you secure the information itself, that you don't have to worry about the security of the computers. You could have some computers in the cloud somewhere, information's flowing through them, and people can compromise compromise those things, and it doesn't really matter because the information itself is encrypted. Um, and so, you know, things like SMS, um, you know, the iMessage cloud backups, um, uh, most other messengers, Facebook Messenger, all that stuff, you know, um, they're relying on this computer security model. Um, and that... Uh, ends up disappointing people in the end mm. and so you why did you guys create it like what what was 
unsatisfactory about the other options that were available? Well, because the way the internet works today is like insane. Uh, you know that. Uh, you know, fundamentally, I feel like um, private communication is important because I think that change happens in private. Um, everything that is fundamentally decent today uh, started out as something that was a socially unacceptable idea at the time. Uh, you look at things like. You know, obvious things that abolition of slavery, legalization of marijuana, legalization of same-sex marriage, uh, even you know, constructing the dec Declaration of Independence. Those are all things that required a space for people to process ideas outside the context of everyday life, and um, those spaces don't exist on the internet today. And I think it's kind of crazy the way the internet works today. You know, that like if you imagined. Um, you know, every moment that you were talking to somebody in real life, there was somebody there just with a clipboard, a stranger, mm -hmm. taking notes about what you said. That would change the character of your conversations. Uh, and I think that in some ways, like, we're living through a shortage of brave or bold or courageous ideas, in part because people don't have the space to process what's happening in their lives outside of the context of everyday interactions you know that's a really good way to put it because you got to give people a chance to think things through but if you do that publicly they're not going to they're going to sort of like like basically what you see on twitter you yeah. know if you stray from what is considered to be the acceptable norm or the current ideology or whatever whatever you're supposed to whatever opinions you're supposed to have on a certain subject you get attacked Ruthlessly so. So you see a lot of self-censorship and you also see a lot of virtue signaling where people sort of pretend that they espouse a certain series of ideas because that'll get them some, you know, some social cred. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think that communication in those environments is performative. You know, you're either performing for an angry mob, you're performing for advertisers, you're performing for, you know, the governments that are watching. Yeah. Uh, and I think... Also, the ideas that make it through are kind of tainted as a result, you know, that like, uh, did you watch any of the, um, like the online hearing stuff that was happening over COVID, uh, you know, where like uh, city councils and stuff were having their hearings online? No, I did not. Uh, it was kind of interesting to me because it's like, um, you know, they can't meet in person, so they're doing it online. And uh, that means that the public comment period was also online, you know? And so it, it used to be that like, you know, if you go to a city council meeting, uh, they have a period of public comment where, you know, people could just stand up and say what mm. they think, you know. And, like, ordinarily, it's like, oh, you got to go to City Hall. You got to, like, wait in line. You got to sit there, you know. But then when it's on Zoom, it's just sort of like anyone can just show up at, right. on the Zoom. Th you know, they just dial in and they're just like, here's what I think, you know. And, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting because particularly uh, when a lot of the police brutality stuff was happening in Los Angeles, I was I was watching those city council hearings. And, you know, people were just like, you know. You know, they were just calling, you know, be like, fuck you. I yield the rest of my time. Fuck you. You know, <laughs> like it was just like uh, really brutal and uh, not undeservedly so. And, uh, you know, what was interesting to me was just watching the the politicians, basically, you know, uh, who just had to sit there and just they were just like, take it. You know? And then it was just like, you know, you get three minutes and then there's someone yeah. else. Who gets, you know, and they're just like, OK, and now we'll hear from, you know, like, and, you know, watching that, you sort of realize that it's like, um to be a politician, you have to just sort of fundamentally not really care what people think of you, you know? Uh, 
you have to fundamentally uh, just be comfortable sitting, you know, and having people yell at you, you know, for three minute in three minute increments for an hour or whatever, you know. And so it seems like what we've sort of done is like bred these people who are willing to do that, you know. And in some ways, that's like a useful characteristic. But in other ways, that's the characteristic of a psychopath, you know. Who, yes. And, yes. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is that that also extends outside of those environments. That like to do anything ambitious today requires that you just are comfortable with that kind of um, feedback. Like Trump's tweets. If yeah. you watch, you know, if you look at Twitter and look at any of Trump's tweets, when he tweets, watch what people say. <laughs> it's ruthless. They go crazy. They go so hard at him. So I'm assuming he doesn't read them. I'm assuming he just, or maybe he does and just doesn't say anything, but he knows, I, he doesn't go back and forth with people at least. No, but, and I'm, I, I think, you know, Trump is perfectly capable of just not caring. You know, there's like yes. people like, you know, crazy is just like, yeah, whatever, what, you know, I'm the best. They don't, you know. Yeah. And like, that's, um, you know, that's politics. But I think, you know, the danger is when that, uh, you know, to do anything ambitious, you know, outside of politics or whatever, you know, requires that you're capable of just not caring, you know, yeah. what people think or whatever, uh, because everything is happening in public. I think you made a really good point in that change comes from people discussing things privately because you have to it's a you have to be able to take a chance you have to be daring and you have to be able to confide in people and you have to be able to say hey um this is not right and we're going to do something about it if you do that publicly the powers that be that do not want change in any way shape or form they'll they'll come down on you i mean this is essentially what Edward Snowden was warning everyone about when he decided to go public with all this NSA information. He was saying, look, look we, this is not what we signed up for. You, you look, yeah. someone's constantly monitoring your emails, constantly listening to phone calls. Like this is not this mass surveillance thing. It's very bad for just the culture of free expression, just our ability to have ideas and to be able to share them back and forth and vet them out. It's very bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the the history of that kind of surveillance, there are a few interesting inflection points, you know, like at the beginning of, um, you know, the Internet as we know it in like the early to mid 90s, um, there were these like DOD efforts to do mass surveillance, you know, um, and um, they were sort of open about what they were doing. Uh, uh, and, you know, one of them was this program called Total Information Awareness. Uh, and uh, it was they were trying to start this office, I think, called the Total Awareness Office or something within the DoD. And the idea was like they're just gonna like collect information uh, on all Americans and everyone's communication and just stockpile it into these uh, databases, and then they would use that to you know mine those things for information. Uh, it was sort of like you know their their uh, effort to get in on this at the beginning of the information age. Uh, and you know, th it was ridiculous. You know, it's like they called it total information awareness. They had a logo that was like, um, you know, the, the pyramid with the eye on top of it. Oh yeah. This is, this is their oh, logo. God. <laughs> <It's like> the, <laughs> the pyramid with the eye, like casting a beam on the earth. That bit of Latin there means knowledge is power. Oh, wow. And interesting, this, pr this program was actually started by uh, John Poindexter of all people who was involved in the Iran-Contra stuff, I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And he, he like went to jail for a second and was pardoned or something. But uh, 
So anyway, you know, they're, they're like, just this is so fucked up. <laughs> these people are in charge of anything. I know, but what's also I just kind of comical is that like they were like, this is what we're gonna do. Look you at know? how crazy this is. Like this, this is our plan, you know. And people were like, uh, I don't think so. You know, like what year was this? I, this was like early mid nineties. Look at this authentication, biometric data, face, fingerprints, gate, iris, your gate. So they're going to identify people based on the way they walk? I guess your gait is yeah, that specific. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then automated virtual data repositories, privacy and security. This is fascinating. Because if well, you look at, I mean, obviously no one thought of cell phones back then. Exactly, right. This is, so this is like kind of amateurish, right? So it's yeah. like, they're like, this is what we're going to do, you know? And people are like, uh, I don't think so. You know, even like Congress is like, uh, guys, I don't think we can like approve this, you know? Uh, like, you need a better logo, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's just this whole flow chart. Is that but, what this would be? What, what, do you, what do you call something like this? Uh, what are these called? flowchart yeah. i guess sort of designed to dazzle you and yeah approving their fun it's like baffling to figure out what it is like first of all what are all those little color tubes <laughs> those little ones those little oh, cylinders those are, those are data silos oh data silos. that's the universal they're all different colors there's yeah. purple ones yeah. what's in the purple data well gate that's prince that's where yeah. gate lives yeah it's all prince's information but okay. so okay so that you know this this stuff all sort of got shut down right you know yeah. they're like they're like okay we can't do this you know uh, and then instead, what ended up happening was like data naturally accumulated in different places, you know, that, um, you know, like back then, if you had been, you know, what they were trying to do is be like, our proposal is that everyone carry a government mandated tracking device at all times. Like, what do you guys think? You know, it'll make us safer, you know, and people were like, no, I don't think so, you know, but instead, everyone ended up just carrying cell phones at all times, which yeah. are tracking your location and reporting them into centralized repositories that government has access to, you know. And so, uh, you know, this, this this sort of like oblique surveillance infrastructure ended up emerging. And that was what, you know, people sort of knew about, but, you know, didn't really know. And that's what uh, Snowden um, revealed was like, uh, you know, instead, we don't have this. Instead, it's like all of that, all of those things are happening naturally, you know. Your, you know, gate detection, fingerprint, you know, like all this stuff's happening naturally. It's ending up in these uh, places. And then, you know, governments are just going to those places and getting the information. Uh, and then I think, you know, the next inflection point was really uh, Cambridge Analytica. Um, you know, that was a moment where I think people were like... Explain that to people, please. Uh, Cambridge Analytica was um, a, uh, a firm that was doing... Um, like big data, um, using big data in order to um, forecast and manipulate um, people's opinions. Uh, and in particular, they uh, were involved in the 2016 election. Uh, and it was sort of, you know, so it's like, you know, what Stone revealed was PRISM, which was um, the, the cooperation between the government and these places where data was naturally accumulating, like Facebook, Google, et cetera, you know and the phone company and uh cambridge analytica i think was the moment that people were like oh there's like also sort of like a private version of prism you know that's like not just governments but like the data is out there and other people who are motivated are using that against us you know um and i so i think you know in the beginning it was sort of like oh this could be scary and then it was like um oh but you know we're just using these services and then people were like oh wait the government is you know uh using the data that we're uh, you know, sending to these services. And then people were like, oh, wait, like anybody can use the data against us. And they were like, oh, shit. You know, it's like, I think things went from like, um, 
ah, I don't really have anything to hide to like, wait a second, these people can predict and influence how I'm going to vote based on what kind of genes I buy, you know? Uh, and, you know, and then, you know, sort of where we are today, where it's like, I think people are also beginning to realize that the companies themselves that are doing this kind of data collection are, are also not necessarily acting in our best interests. Yeah, for sure. There, there's just too, there's, there's also this weird thing that's happening with these companies that are gathering the data, whether it's Facebook or Google or, I don't think they ever set out to be what they are. They started out, like Facebook, for example, we were talking about it before. It was really just sort of like a social networking thing. And this was in the early days. It was a business. I don't think anybody ever thought it was going to be something that influences world elections in a staggering way. Like, especially in other parts of the world, you know, where Facebook becomes the sort of de facto messaging app on your phone when you get it. Yeah. I mean, it has had massive impact on on politics, on shaping culture, on, on I mean, even genocide has been connected to Facebook in, in certain certain countries. You know, it's it's weird that this thing that is in, I don't know how many different language Facebook how many different languages does Facebook uh, operate all them, under? They, all of them. Yeah. I mean, th that this was just a, a social app. It was from Harvard, right? They were just connecting students together. Wasn't that initially what the the first iteration of it was? Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I think you can say, like, no one anticipated that these things would be this significant. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, I think ultimately like what we end up seeing again and again is that like bad business models produce bad technology you know that like the point you know what we were talking about before like the point you know mark zuckerberg did not create facebook because of his deep love of like social interactions like he did not have some like deep sense of like wanting to connect people and connect the world that's not his passion you know uh, jeff bezos did not start amazon because of his deep love of books uh you know uh these companies are oriented around um profit you know they're they're trying to make money and and they you know they're they're subject to external demands as a result they have to like grow infinitely you know um which is insane but that's the expectation and you know so what we end up seeing is that uh the technology is not necessarily uh in our best interest because that's not what it was designed for to begin with that is insane that companies are expected to grow infinitely yeah, I mean, they're literally. What what is your expectation to take over everything, to have all the money, and then one day, and then more? You know, if yeah, if we extrapolate, we we anticipate we will have all the money. There will be no other money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you keep going, that's what has to happen. How can you just grow infinitely? That's bizarre. Yeah, and that's why I mean, you know, the I think you know the Silicon Valley obsession with China is yeah. uh, you know a big part of that, where people they're just like, well, that's a lot of people there. Yes, you know, that's, that's, that's a another, lot of people you there. Can just keep growing. Yeah, there was a, a fantastic uh, um, thing that I was reading this morning. God, I wish I could remember what the source of it was, but it was uh, they were they were essentially talking about how strange it is that there are so many people that are so anti-human trafficking. They're so pro-human rights. They're so anti-slavery. They're so all the. The, the powerful values that we ascribe uh, that we that we we think of when we think of Western civilization, we we think of all these beautiful values, but then 
almost all of them rely on some form of slavery to get their electronics. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It was you have, just, uh, eight grams of cobalt in your pocket over there. Yeah. Mined by actual child slaves. <laughs> like, Someone know. had to yeah. stick us, like, literally, they're, they're getting it out of the ground, digging yeah. into the dirt to get it out of the ground. We were talking about it on the podcast the other day. We're like, is there a way that this could, that, is there a future that you could foresee where you could buy a phone that is guilt free? Like, if I buy a pair of shoes, like I bought a pair of boots from my friend uh, Jocko's company. He's got a, a company called Origin. They make handmade boots. And, like, it's made in a factory in Maine. You can see a tour of the factory. These guys are stitching these things together, and it's a real quality boot. And I'm like, I like that I could buy this. I know where it came from. I know that I could I could see a video of the guys making it. Like, this is a thing that I could feel like I am giving them money. They're giving me a, a product. Like, there's a, there's a nice exchange. It feels good. I don't feel like that with a phone. With a phone, I have this, like, bizarre disconnect. I try to pretend that I'm not buying something that's made in a factory where there's a fucking net around it because so many people jump to their deaths that instead of trying to make things better, they say, we just, we're going to put nets up. Catch these fuckers. Put them back to work. Yeah. Is there? Is it possible we could want, that we would all get together and say, hey, enough of this shit. Will you make us a goddamn phone that doesn't make me feel like I'm supporting slavery? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're asking maybe, you know. I think, Too much? <laughs> I think you're asking, I think that's the same as asking, like, will civilization ever decide that it wants to, that we collectively want to have, like, a sustain, sane and sustainable way of living? Yeah. Um, sane and, and sustainable. And I hope the answer is yes. I think a lot of us do. You do, right? I do. You uh, don't want to buy a slave phone, right? Yeah, I mean, I. Th but okay, so, uh, you know, I feel like it's difficult to have this conversation without yeah. having a conversation about capitalism, right? Because, like, ultimately, you know, what we're talking about is, like, externalities that the prices of things don't incorporate their true cost. Uh, you know, that, like, you know, we're destroying the planet for plastic trinkets and reality television. Uh, you know, like... Well, we know, could have a, we could have the full conversation <laughs> if you like. We, we, let's let's start with phones, though. Let's start with because when most people know the actual the, 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 from the origin of the materials, like how they're coming, how they're getting out of the ground, how they're getting into your phone, how they're getting constructed, how they're getting manufactured and 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 assembled by these poor people. When most people hear about it, they, they, they don't like it. It makes them very uncomfortable. But they just sort of go, la, la, la. They just plug their ears and keep going and buy the latest iPhone 12 because it's, it's cool. It's new. What would they do instead? Well, if there was an option. So, like, if you have a, a car that you know is being made by slaves or a car that's being made in Detroit by union workers – wouldn't you choose the car, as long as they're both of equal quality, I think a lot of people would feel good about their choice if they could buy something that, well, no, these people are, they're given a very good wage, they have health insurance, and they're taken care of, they have a pension plan, there's all these good things that we would like to, to have ourselves, these workers get, so you should probably buy that car. Why isn't there an option like that for a phone? We looked at this thing called a fair phone. Yeah. We're going over it. You can't even fucking buy it in America. 
Like, no, America's no options for fair. (laughs) (laughs) They only only have them in, like, Holland and a couple other European countries. Yeah. I mean, I I think... uh, Yeah, maybe it's good to, you know, start with the question of phones. I I, I think if you really examined, like, most of the things in your everyday life, um, there is an apocalyptic aspect to them. Yes. I mean, you know, even agriculture, you know. It's just like, you know, the sugar you put in your coffee. You know, it's like, I've been to the sugar beet harvest you know it's apocalyptic you know it's like uh you know so i I think there's just like an aspect of civilization that we don't usually see or think about uh, and it's a non-conscious i mean non not non-conscious but i mean conscious capitalism would be the idea that you are willing you want to make a profit but you only want to make a profit if everything works like the idea of me buying my shoes from origin, like knowing, okay, these are the guys that make it. This is how they make it. I got this is a good, this feel, makes me feel good. I like this. If there was that with everything, like if you, if you buy a home from a, a, a guy who you know built the home, like this is the man, this is the, this is the, the, the chief construction guy. This, these are the carpenters. This is the architect. Oh, okay. I get it. This all makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and that, I think that's the image that a lot of, uh, companies try to project. You yes. know what I mean? Uh, like, you know, even Apple will say, you know, it's like d- designed by Apple in California. Right? Sure. Uh, designed. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the same as like the architect and the builders that you know, you know, but those materials are coming from somewhere. Uh, that's true. The, the wood the, is the, the coming from somewhere. Right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not just wood. There's like petrochemicals. Like, you mm-hmm. know, that's that, that whole supply chain is uh, apocalyptic and you're never going to meet all of those people. Um, and so, I, you know, I think, sure, they're, I think it's, you know, it's difficult to be in that market. Like, if you, if you want to be in, in the market of conscious capitalism or whatever, because it's a market for lemons, um, that it's, because it's so easy to just put a green logo on whatever it is that you're creating, uh, and no one will ever see the, the back of the supply chain. That's a sad statement about humans. <laughs> You know, that we're, that this is how, I mean, this is how we always do things if you, you let us, if you leave us alone, if you, if there's a way, you know, I mean, privacy is so important when it comes to communication with individuals, and this is why you created Signal, but when you can sort of hide all the various elements that are involved in all these different process, all these different things that we buy and use, and then, you know, as you said, they're apoc- apocalyptic, which is a great way of describing it. If you're, I mean, if you're at the ground watching these kids pull coltan out of the ground in Africa, I mean, you'd probably feel really sick about your cell phone. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but I, I don't think, I think it's a little more complicated than to say that just like humans, um, are terrible or whatever. No, I don't think humans are terrible. I think humans are great. But I think if you put humans together and you give them this diffusion of responsibility that comes from a corporation and then you give them a mandate, you have to make as much money as possible every single year. And then you have shareholders and you have all, all, all these different factors that will allow them to say, well, I just work for the company. You know, I'm sure. not, I'm not, it's not my call. You know, I'm, I, I just, you know, and you got the guy carving up a steak saying, listen, I'm so sorry that if we have to use slaves, but yeah. look, Apple's worth $5 trillion. Yeah. We've done a great job for our shareholders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the line, yeah. follow it all the way down yeah. to the beginning and you literally have slaves. 
Yeah, I, I fundamentally agree. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's... Anytime you end up in a situation where, um, like, most people do not have the agency that they would need in order to direct their life that they would, the way that they would want, you know, direct their life so that we're living in a sane and sustainable way, um, that, I, yeah, I think is uh, a problem. Uh, and I think that's the situation we're in now, you know. And I, honestly, I feel like, you know, the stuff that we were talking about before of, you know, people... Um, you know, sort of being mean online um, is a reflection of that, you know, that um, that's the power that pe that's the only power, power yes. that people have. You know, it's like, right. it, you right. know, it, like, you know, the only thing that if the, well, the only thing you can do is call someone a name, you're going to call them a name, you know. Right. Um, and I think that it's like, yeah, it's unfortunate, um, but I think it is also um, unfortunate that most people have so little agency and control over the way that the world works that that's all they have to do and i guess you would say also that the people that do have power that are running these corporations don't take into account what it would be like to be the person at the bottom of the line to be the person that is there's no there's no discussion there's no like board meetings like hey guys what are we doing about slavery like, <laughs> well no hey guys, i don't i i'm sure that I'm sure that they do talk about that, uh, honestly. But think, they've done nothing. Uh, they've probably done something, or they've probably done what they think is something, but I think it's, um, even, you know, even the CEO of a company is someone who's just doing their job at the end of the day, you know, that they can't, they don't have ultimate control and agency over how it is that uh, a company performs because they are accountable to their shareholders, they're accountable to the board, right. so, you know, that it's like, I think there is a tendency for people to look at what's happening, particularly with technology today, and think that it's the fault of the people, um, you know, like the the leaders of these companies, you know. And, you know, I, like, um, I think it goes both ways, you know. Uh, Slavo Žižek um, always talks about um, when you look at the old political speeches, um, you know, if you look at the fascist leaders, um, you know, they would give a speech, and when there was a, a moment of applause, um, they would just sort of stand there and accept the applause because in their ideology... Uh, they were responsible for the thing that people were applauding, you know. And if you watch the old communist leaders, you know, like when Stalin would give a speech um, and he would say something and there would be a moment of applause, he would also applaud. Uh, because in their ideology of historical materialism, they were just agents of history. They were just the tools of the inevitable. Uh, it wasn't them. You know, they had just sort of been chosen as the agents of this thing that was an inevitable process. And so they were applauding history, you know. And sometimes when I see like the CEOs of tech companies give speeches uh, and people applaud, I kind of feel like they should also be applauding. You mm. know, that it's not them. You know that right. uh, technology has its own agency, its own force that they're the tools of in a way. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. That it, it yeah, they are the tools of it. And at this point, if we look at where we are in 2020, in this it seems inevitable. It seems like there's just this unstoppable amount of momentum behind innovation and behind the, just the process of creating newer, better technology and constantly putting it out and then dealing with the demand for that newer, better technology and then competing with all the other people that are also putting out newer, better technology. And, this, and then 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look what we're doing. Yeah. We're we are helping the demise of human beings. <laughs> Because I feel, and I've, I've said this multiple times, and I'm going to say it again, I think that we are the electronic caterpillar that will give way to the butterfly. We are. We don't know what we're doing. We are putting together something that's going to take over. We're putting together some ultimate being, some symbiotic connection between humans and, and technology or literally an artificial version of life, not even artificial, a version of life constructed with silicone and, and wires and, and things that we're making. We're, we're, if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to come up with a technology that is going to be ex machina. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass the Turing test, and it's going to literally be something that's better than what we are, a better version of a human being. I think we're a ways away. Uh, yeah, we're a ways away, but what? how many ways? 50 years? Uh, the moment that I can put my hand under the like automatic sink thing mm -hmm. and have the soap come out without like waving <laughs> around, you know, like then I'll be worried, you know. Yeah, but well, like, that's you know. simplistic, sir. How <laughs> dare you? Well, here's a good example. You know, the Turing test is the Turing test is uh, if uh, someone sat down with like an ex machina. Remember the 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 jet sure. was one of my all time favorite movies where the coder is brought in to talk to the <laughs> the woman he f falls in love with the robot lady, and he, she passes the Turing test because he's he's in love with her. I mean he, re he really can't differentiate in his mind that is a woman that's not a robot. Uh, who was it? Alan Turing. What was the the gentleman's name? Alan Turing. Alan Turing that came up with the Turing test. You know, he, he was a gay man in England in the 1950s when it was illegal to be gay. And they chemically castrated him yeah. because of that. And he wound up killing himself. That's only 70 years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. This fucking insane. I mean, just think that this, this man back then was thinking there is going to be a time where we will have some kind of an a creation where we we imitate life the current life that we're aware of where we're going to make a version of it that's going to be indis indistinguishable from the versions that are biological and that very guy by whatever twisted ideas of what human beings should or shouldn't do whatever expectations of culture at the time is forced to be chemically castrated and winds up committing suicide just by the hand of humans. Fucking strange, man. Like, really strange. I mean, uh, worse than strange. I mean, that's, oh, yes. That's Horrible. Perfect, yeah. But I mean, but so bizarre that this is the guy that comes up with the test of, of like, how do we know when something is, like, what, what, when it passes, when you have an artificial person that passes for a person, and then what kind of rights do we give this person? What is this? Like, what, what, what is it? Like, if it has emotions, what if it cries? Are you allowed to kick it? You know, like, what do you do? Like, that's, uh, but I made it. I turned it on. I could fucking torture it. But you can't. It's screaming. It's, it's in agony. Don't do that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't think about this stuff that often, but it is, you know, it's an, an empirical test, right? So it's like, um, it's a way to avoid having to define what consciousness is, right? Uh, which is kind of strange. We're conscious beings, and we don't actually really even know what that means. Right. Uh, and so instead, we have this empirical test where it's just sort of like, well, if you can't tell the difference, um, you know, without being able to see it, then 
then we'll just call that. Uh, you know. I think that is really a lot closer than we think. I think that's I think that's 50 years. I think that if everything goes well, I think I'm going to be a 103-year-old man <laughs> on my dying bed being taken care of by robots. And I'm going to feel real fucked up about that. I'm going to be like, oh, my God. I can't believe this. I'm going to leave. And then all the people that I knew that are alive, they're, they're the last of the people. This is it. The robots are going to take over. And they're not even going to be robots. They're going to come up with some cool name for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of... Um most of what I see in like the artificial intelligence world right now is not really intelligence. You know, it's uh, it's just matching. You know, it's like you show a model an image of ten million cats, and then you can show it an image, and it will be like, I predict that this is a cat. And then you can show it an image of a truck, and it'll be like, I predict that this is not a cat. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't. I think there's one way of looking at it that's like, well, you just do that with enough things, enough times, and that's what intelligence is. Um, but I kind of hope not and i you know the way that the way that it's being approached right now i think is also uh dangerous in a lot of ways because what we're doing is just feeding information about the world into these models and that just encodes the existing biases and problems with the world into the things that we're creating um and you know that i think has uh negative results but but i mean yes it's true like this ecosystem is moving and and it's advancing whatever and i think the thing that i think is unfortunate is that like right now that ecosystem this sort of um like really capital driven investment uh startup sort of ecosystem has a monopoly on like groups of young people trying to do something ambitious together in the world and uh in the same way that i think it's unfortunate that like grad school has a monopoly on groups of people learning things together you know um and so part of what we're trying to do different with signal is it's a nonprofit. uh so uh because we want to be for something other than profit. Um, and so we're trying to like explore a different way of like groups of people, you know, doing something mildly ambitious. Has anyone come along and go, I know it's a nonprofit, but would you like to sell? <laughs> uh, you, uh, well, you can't do that. It's like in the, the, the structure. There's nothing to sell. There's no right. equity. There's no it's kind of amazing, though, that you guys have figured out a way to create like basically a better version of iMessage that you could use on Android. Because one of the big complaints about Android is the lack of yeah. any encrypted messaging services. Yeah. Or and, just and, good messaging services. Yeah, yeah, they've just recently come out with their own version of iMessage, but it kind of sucks. You can't do group chats. There's a, a lot of things you can't yeah. do with it, and it, it's it's encrypted. But is is the new – and it, I don't think it's rolled out everywhere too, right? It's not everywhere. I don't think it's rolled out at all, actually. But, oh, you yeah. could get a beta? Is that what it is? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the – you're right. So it's like um, – that you know android so google for android makes an app called messages which is just the standard sms texting app and they put that on the phones that they make like the pixel and stuff like that you know and then there's the rest of the ecosystem you know there's like you know samsung devices huawei devices you know all this stuff um and it's sort of it depends you know what's what's on those things and so they've been trying to move from this very old standard called SMS that you mentioned before to this newer thing called RCS, um, which actually I don't know what that stands for. I think in my mind I always think of it as standing for too little, too late. Uh, but they're, try <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to move to that. Uh, and uh, so they're doing that on the, the device, the part of the ecosystem that they control, which is the, the, the devices that um, they make and sell. And they're trying to get other people on board as well. And they originally RCS didn't have any facility for end-to-end -end encryption. 
and uh, they're actually using our stuff, the Signal protocol, uh, in the uh, the new version of RCS that they're shipping. So I, I think they've announced that, but I don't know if it's it, it's on or not. I have two bones to pick with you guys. Yeah. Two things that I don't Dude, necessarily like. Right. One, when uh, I downloaded Signal and I joined, basically everyone that I'm friends with who was also on Signal got a message that I'm on Signal. Uh -huh. So you ratted me out. You ratted me out to all these people that are in my contact list. Why do you want it to be difficult for people to communicate with you privately? Well, me personally, because there's a lot of people that have my phone number that I wish didn't have my phone number. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they got a message from me that I'm on Signal. Yeah. And then they send me a message. Hey, I'd like this from you. I want you to do that for me. <laughs> How about call me about this? I got a project. Uh -huh. So I just wish you didn't like rat me out. I wish there was like a way that you could say, do you want everyone to know that you just joined signal yes or no yep. i'd say no another one those little dot dot dots the ellipsis yeah yeah can you shut that off because i don't want anybody to know that i'm responding yeah, to yeah, a text you can turn it off can you turn that off oh okay so yeah. it's in the settings yeah privacy settings okay. you can turn typing indicators you can turn off oh, okay. receipts you can turn off yeah, that's, that's a big problem with iMessage. people get mad at you like if you they oh, see yeah, they the dot the dot dots and, and then there's yeah. no message yeah. like hey you were gonna respond and then you didn't like yeah. why don't you just relax just go about yeah. your life and pretend that I didn't text you back yet, because I will. But it's not like the dot, dot, dots, like people are like, oh, it's coming. Here comes the message. And then there's no message. <laughs> yeah, you can turn that off. You can also turn off read receipts so people don't, don't even know if you've read their message. Yes, that's good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My friend Sagar has it set up so that if you uh, he texts you, you have 30 minutes, bitch. And then they all disappear. All the messages disappear. He's got oh, the, oh, the yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A, that's kind of a sweet move. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I'm, with the um, like the discovery question of like, can you don't want people to know that you're on Signal? Um, it's kind of so we're working on it, but it's it's a more difficult problem than you might imagine because um, you want some people to know that you're on Signal. You know, it's like you want some I'll people text him. <laughs> so you want nobody to know. Well, the, me personally, I, I have a unique set of problems. That comes with uh, anything that I do, like with messaging and stuff. It's like I just just too. I have no too many people. I've changed my number once a year. Mm. It's just I have and I have multiple phone numbers. Yeah, I got a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah but yeah. this is this is a unique problem with me that it's like all of a sudden I'm getting like, how the fuck does he know? And then I had to ask someone. They go, oh no, when you sign up, it sends everybody on your contact list that's on Signal. A message that says you're on signal. Like, yeah. Oh. Well, we don't send that actually. Uh, just as a, I know you don't care, but the uh, we don't actually know who your contacts are. You know. So right. It's like we, signal we does though. The app does. The the app on your phone does, and it and it doesn't even send a message to those people. It's just that those people know that you're on that signal. They those people know your phone number, and the that app now knows that that phone number is on Signal. And Did so you they, do that just to get more people to use Signal? Was it an idea of the the reason why? Like, why, when you sign up for Signal, does it send all the other people in your contact list on Signal a message? Uh, a lot of people like it. So a lot of people like like knowing who that they can communicate with. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we're trying to make... so. And the other thing is, like, we try to square the actual technology with the way that it appears to work to people, right? So, like, right now, with most technology, it seems like, you know, you send a message, and the person who can see it is the person who received, you sent the message to, you know, the intended right. recipient, you know? And that's not how it actually works. Um, and so, like, a lot of what we're trying to do is actually just square the way the technology actually works with what it is that people perceive. Mm. Uh, and so, like, fundamentally, right now, 
you know, signal is based on phone numbers. If you register with your phone number, like some people are going to know that they can contact you on signal. There's, it's very difficult to make it so that they can't, you know, that like, uh, if we, if we didn't do that, you know, they could hit the compose button and see just that they could send you a message. You know, they would just see you in the list of contacts that they can send messages to, you know? And then if we like didn't display that, like they could just try and send you a message and see whether like a message goes through, you know, like right. it's always possible to like detect whether it is that you're on signal the way that things are currently designed. It's interesting also how it works so much differently with Android than it does with iMessage. Like with Android, it also send an, S S an SMS. I noticed that uh, I can use Signal as my main messaging app yeah. on Android and it'll send SMS or it'll send a Signal message. Yeah. It doesn't do that with uh, i with iPhones. Yeah, Apple doesn't let you. Yeah, I found that pretty interesting because I tried to send people messages. I thought it would just send it as an SMS, and it didn't. Yeah. We would if we could, but Apple just sent it into does, the ether. Doesn't allow it. It doesn't allow it. Interesting, because Apple's scared of you. Say um, it. Say it. They're <laughs> fucking scared. No, nah, I mean I, they, they should be. A Apple is it's a better version of what they've got. How about that? Uh, I agree, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they have a much more complicated answer, but maybe you could distill it down to that. You guys need to just develop your own version of AirDrop, and then no one will need Apple ever again. That's yeah, what's holding people that. back, like a universal AirDrop. Hmm. AirDrop keeps a lot of fucking people on Apple. You think? Right. Oh, it's the best. You make a video, like a long video, like a couple minutes long, and you can just AirDrop it to me. Whereas if you text it to me... Especially if I have an Android phone, oh, yeah. it becomes this disgusting yeah. version. Don't downsample it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks terrible. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, photographs are not too bad. I think that it, it does it downsample sure, sure. photographs yeah. as well, yeah. but not too bad. Yeah. It's like you could look at it, it looks like a yeah. good photograph. Yeah, yeah. But video is just god awful. It's embarrassing when someone sends you a video and you have it on an Android phone. You're like, what the fuck did you send me? <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> Like, what did you take this with? A flip phone from the 90s? Yeah. No, it's so yeah. bad. But, I mean, a lot of that is, like, uh, I, I think the reason that that the, the reason why it is that way is, is kind of interesting to me, which is, you know, it's like these are um, protocol, you know, it's like when you're just using a normal SMS message on Android, you know, uh, that was, like, this agreement that phone carriers made with each other in, like, you know, 2002 no before that way really? before, you know 96 yeah yeah exactly you know and then have they've been unable to change the way that it works since then because um you have to get everyone to agree right and is apple holding back some sort of a universal standard because if they did have a universal standard then everyone would have this option to use you could use a samsung phone or a google phone you could use anything and everybody would be able to message you clearly without a problem like one of the things that holds people back is if you switch from an iphone to an android yeah. phone you lose all those i messages sure, sure, sure. yeah yeah yeah, the, uh, yeah they're probably doing that intentionally because they fucking weasels they want they want people to continue to use iPhones. <laughs> don't they have enough money like jesus christ there's never enough Jeff. that's the never problem enough. that is the problem right yeah and i think i mean it's like i think the thing that everyone's worried about right now with apple is like you know apple um you know what I said before of like bad business models produce bad technology. Um, you know, thus far, Apple's business model is much better than you know Google or Facebook or Amazon or you know like their their business is predicated on selling phones, selling hardware. You know, and uh, that means that they um, can think a little bit more thoughtfully about the way that their software works than other people. 
And I think what people are concerned about is that the that that business model is going to change. You know that they, they've they're you know approaching an asymptote of how many phones that they can sell, and so now they're looking at like software. You know, they're like, what if we had our own search engine? What if we had mm. you know our own thing? What if we had, yeah. you, know, you know? And the moment that that starts to happen, then they're sort of you know moving in the direction of the rest of big tech, uh, which. You know, who, who knows how they do it, but that, that, that's what I think people are concerned about. They've done a better job at protecting your privacy, though, in terms of, like, particularly, like, Apple Maps. Like, their map app is far superior in terms of sharing your information than, say, like, the Google Maps. But the argument you could make is that Google Maps is a superior product because they share that information. Like, Google Maps... Is also Waze now, right? Like yeah. they bought Waze, which is fantastic. It lets you know where the cops are. You know, there's an accident up ahead. All kinds of shit, right? But Apple Maps was not that good. It's I use it because I like the ethic behind it. I like their idea yeah. behind it. They they delete all the information after you make. You know, if you go to a destination, it's not saving it, sending it to a server and making sure it knows, like, you know, what was there and what wasn't there and how well you you traveled and sharing information. They're, they're not doing that. They're not sharing your information, right? Um, I, We don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm sure that they have a policy. Uh, I haven't read the policy. And maybe yeah. the policy says that. Um, but Supposedly. So, you, you, yeah. you know, I, but and you're also sort of, you're still in the in the world of like um, trying to make computers secure, right? You know, it's like there's probably data. The data is probably accumulating somewhere, and maybe people can compromise those places. You know, um, we don't know. But I and and for sure, the the intent behind the software that they have constructed, I think, has been much better than a lot of the other players in big tech. I think the concern is just that as that software becomes a larger part of their bottom line, that that might change. I wonder if they can figure out a way to have an I don't give a fuck phone or I care phone. Like, you want to have an I don't give a fuck phone? This phone is like, who knows who's making it? But look, it's really good. It's got a 100 megapixel camera and all this jazz and a 5,000 milliamp battery. And then you've got an I care phone. And the I care phone, it's like, like an iPhone 10. It, it, but what is, what's, the, what's different about the I care phone? The iCare phone, you get like a, a clear line of distinction. You get you get a, a real clear path. This is where we got our materials. Oh, I see. These are the people that are making it. This yeah. is how much they're getting paid. They're, everyone is unionized. They're all getting health care. They all have 401k plans. This yeah. is, yeah, it costs a little bit more. And I think it's not we, as good. If you, if you truly encapsulated all of the social costs with producing that phone i think would cost more than a little bit more <laughs> how much more do you think it would cost uh, i think some astronomical number you know that it's like the, the you know it's like it's not like i'm sure apple would prefer not to have child slaves mining cobalt for the batteries that are in their phone is uh, that a thing you can say when a company's worth as much as most countries like they have so much cash yeah can you really say that they they would rather not use slaves no, I'm sure, imagine? I'm, I'm sure that like, at the board meeting, I don't want to go like, broke. Uh, I have <laughs> only have 14 trillion. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I need slaves. I need someone to dig the the, the well, coal tan okay. well, so out what of the you Congo. Do then? What would I do if yeah. I was them? Well, first of all, I could never be them. It would never work. 
but if I was, I would say, hey, um, why don't we open up a factory in America? And why don't well, you we... you got to mind the, co- the cobalt isn't in America. Why don't, right. Why don't we get all of our cobalt from recycled phones? Is that possible? Because that, okay, if that was going to recycle them. That's a good question. I think that's what the Fairphone's trying to do, right? Isn't Aren't they using all recycled materials? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't... Any image I've seen of electronic recycling is equally apocalyptic. You know, there's just piles of shit like in some next Dude, to ch- lake in China where people are. You're you know, bumming me out, man. Uh, How about? We do- <laughs> but I, th- I think if you were the CEO of Apple and you were like, "This is a priority. We're going to spend, you know, however many trillions of dollars it takes to do this," um, your shareholders go, "Hey, fuckface, you're fired." Yeah. Out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would have to be the grand poobah of Apple. You'd have to be the ultimate ruler. But it's not like, um, even then, if you were just like, you know, I'm willing to take the hit, you know, uh, I'm going to do, no one can oust me or whatever. I'm the, the grand poobah, you know? Yeah. Then it's like your share price plummets, which means that um, your employee retention plummets because those people are also working for the equity. Right. And, you know, so it's Stock like now they're working lessons and then they get poached away by these other companies. Mm, or, you know, it's like, it's... Dirty companies come yeah. and steal your clean employees. <laughs> this is what <laughs> Apple's website says now. <clears throat> it says they're committed to one day sourcing 100%. Look at this. Completely recycled, every bit as advanced. One we're day. committed to one day sourcing. One day. Where we're planning on the year 30,000. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, I don't, they're not, they're not like sitting around twirling their mustaches. You know what I mean? It's just like everyone likes good things and not bad things. Maybe they are. Let me read that again, Jamie. It says, um, uh, 100% recyclable and renewable materials across all of our products and packaging because making doesn't have to mean taking from the planet. Oh, come on. You guys, it's like Nike. It's the same thing too, right? They're all committed to Black Lives Matter and all these social justice causes and they're using slave labor too. You know, aren't they in China? They're they're using slave labor to make Nikes. Probably. So go back to that um that thing. Uh, what are they trying to do? What's I, they have like this ro- I remember seeing a robot they have that can do, like lighter take on the, the planet right out of the box. Take the pieces out of it at a very fast rate than like probably human hands can. Oh, okay. So that's what I was trying to dig through here, but I found that. Well, that would be good. I think that's the robot. That's the the peacetaking robot. Daisy, it's this cool. is Daisy. Don't name her. <laughs> name her, you got a problem. There you go. Twenty thirty. Right? Entirely clean energy, which isn't quite as it's you know. Twenty thirty means transitioning hundreds of our manufacturing suppliers to one hundred percent renewable sources of electricity. Well, that's interesting. If they can actually do that. 100% resource or uh, using all the – if they can figure out a way to do that and to have uh, recyclable materials and have all renewable electricity, whether it's wind or solar, if they could really figure out how to do that, I think that would be pretty amazing. But who's going to put it together? Are they going to still use slaves to put it together? I mean, I, I guess yeah. the people that are working at Foxconn are – technically slaves but would you want your child to work there you know yeah i mean i think you can say that about a lot of the aspects of our economy though you know would who would willingly go into a coal mine yes right yeah you know that there's there's some element of coercion to a lot of what keeps the world spinning right and that's the when you get into these insidious arguments about uh, or conversations about conspiracies like conspiracies to keep people impoverished 
They're like, well, why would you want to keep people impoverished? Well, who who's going to work in the coal mines? You're not going to get wealthy, highly educated people to work in the coal mines. You need someone to work in the coal mines. So what do you do? Well, what you do is you don't you don't help anybody get out of these situations. So you'll always have the ability to draw from these impoverished communities, these poor people that live in Appalachia or where, wherever their coal miners are coming from. Like there's not a whole lot of ways out. Like I have a friend who came from Kentucky and he's like, the way he described it to me was, man, you've never seen poverty like that. Like people don't want to concentrate on those people because it's not as glamorous as some other forms of poverty. He goes, but those communities are so poor. Like, yeah. 40 million Americans, right? 40 yeah. million Americans are living in poverty. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if that conspiracy is accurate, but that's the one that people always want to draw from, right? They always want to... I mean, I don't think you need a conspiracy. You know, you just... You have... You have poor people. Structural forces. You yeah. Know, like, or, yeah. You know, need, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's... That's why it's rare that a company comes along and has a business plan like signal where they're like, we're going to be nonprofit. We're going to create something that we think is of extreme value to human beings, uh, just to, to civilization in general, the ability to communicate anonymously or, or at least privately. That this is a, it's a very rare thing that you guys have done that we decided to do this and to do it in a nonprofit way. Like what, what was the decision that led up to that? And then was there any, how, how many people are involved? Uh, now, um, yeah, okay, well, now there's, uh, you know, 20-something people, uh, which, do you think that's a lot or a little? Um, I think that's a little. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's always interesting talking to people, like, a lot of times I'll, um, I'll meet somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, you're the, you're the person who did, like, Signal or something, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, okay, cool, what are you doing now, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm still working on signal you know and they're like oh what what is there like another signal do? that you're gonna do you're gonna do like signal two or right. you know like i think it's hard for people to understand that there's that software is never finished you know that mm. there's this um which is something that i really envy about like the kind of creative work that someone like you does you know that like i envy artists musicians writers poets painters um you know people who can create something and be done you know that like uh, you can record an album today and 20 years later, you can listen to that album and yeah. it'll be just good. You know, it's like uh, software is never finished. And if you stop, it'll just <laughs> like float away like dandelions. What happens if you stop? Because software is not, um, it's very hard to explain this. It's not, um, it doesn't exist in isolation. It's a part of the ecosystem of, of like all software. And that ecosystem is moving and it's moving really fast. You know, there's a lot of money behind it, a lot of energy in, in it. And if you aren't moving with it, it will just you know, stop working. Uh, and also it's like, you know, uh, a project like this is not just the software that ru runs on your phone, but the service of like, you know, moving the messages around on the internet. And that requires a little bit of care and attention. And if you're not doing that, then it will dissipate. And if you're anyway. doing something nonprofit, the way you're doing it, how do you pay everybody? Like, how does it work? Yeah. Well, okay. So, you know, the history of this was, um, I think before the internet really took over our lives in the way that it has, there were the kind of um, social spaces for people to experiment with different ideas outside of the context of their everyday lives. You know, 
like um, art projects, um, uh, punk rendezvous, um, experimental uh, gatherings, um, uh, the embers of art movements, you know, that uh, these spaces existed and were th things that I found myself in and a part of, and they were like important to me in my life. You look like a dude who'd go to Burning Man. Uh, actually, I, I am not a dude that goes to Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're missing it. Maybe I, I've, I've been once. I went in yeah. 2000, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, early adopter. I can, well, at, it's funny because at the time that I went, people were like, oh, man, it's not like Missed it used it. to be. But, yeah, <laughs> it's like, and now people are like, have you been? I was like, I went once in 2000. Like, wow, wow, that's when it was like the real deal. And I'm like, ah, I don't think so. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there's like day one and then on day two, they're like, ah, oh, it's not like day one. You right, know? Like, of course. It just gets worse. Of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Those things, those spaces were important to me and, and like an important part of my life. And as more of our life started to be taken over by technology um you know me and my friends felt like those spaces were missing online you know and so we wanted to demonstrate that it was possible to create spaces like that and um there had been a history of people thinking about um cryptography in particular and uh <laughs> and which is kind of funny in hindsight right uh so in the like 80s so the history of cryptography is actually not long like uh, at least in outside of the military you know uh and you know it, it really in starts in the 70s um and uh there was some really important things that that happened then and in the 80s there was this person who was just sort of this lone maniac who was like writing a bunch of papers about cryptography during a time when it was that wasn't actually that relevant because there was no internet the you know the the, the applications for these things were harder to imagine um and then in the late 80s, there was um, this uh, guy who wrote a, who was a, a retired engineer who discovered the papers that this maniac, David Chom, had been writing and was really Was he doing this in isolation or was he a part of a project or anything? No, I think David Chom was, um, I think he's an academic. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually, I'm embarrassed that I don't know. But uh, he, um, he did a lot of the, the notable work um, on uh, using the the primitives that had had already been developed, and um, he had a lot of interesting ideas. And there's this guy uh, who was a retired engineer. His name was Tim May, uh, who was uh, kind of a weird character. And he found these paper, papers by David Chom was really enchanted by um, what they could represent for a future. And he wanted to write like a sci-fi novel about that was sort of predicated on a world where cryptography existed and there was a, a future where the internet was developed. And so he wrote some notes about this novel, uh, and he, he titled the notes The Crypto Anarchy Manifesto. And uh, he published the notes online, and people got really into the notes. Um, and then uh, he started a mailing list in the early 90s called the Cypherpunks mailing list. And all these people started, you know, joined the mailing list, and they started communicating about, you know, what the future was going to be like and how, you know, they needed to develop cryptography to live their, you know, crypto anarchy future. Uh, and um, at the time, uh, it's strange to think about now, but cryptography was uh, somewhat illegal. It was it was regulated as a munition. Really? Yeah. So if you wrote a, bit, a little bit of crypto code and you sent it to your friend in Canada, that was the same as like shipping Stinger missiles across the border to Canada. Wow. So yeah. did, did people actually go to jail for cryptography? Uh, there were like uh, some high-profile legal cases. Um, nobody... I don't know of uh, any situations where people were like tracked down as like munitions dealers or whatever, but it really um, 
hampered what people were capable of doing. Uh, so people got really creative. There's some people who wrote some crypto uh, software called Pretty Good Privacy PGP, and they uh, they printed it in a book, like a MIT Press book in a machine readable font. Uh, and then they're like, this is speech, you know, this is a book, you know, it's like, I have my First Amendment right to like print this book and to distribute it. And then they like shipped the books to like Canada and other countries and stuff. And then people in those places scanned it back in uh, to computers. And they were able to make the case that they were uh, legally allowed to do this because of, you know, their First Amendment rights. Uh, and hmm. Um, people, uh, other people moved to Anguilla and started like writing code in Anguilla and like shipping it around the world. Uh, there were a lot of people who were fervently interested. Why Anguilla? Uh, cause it's close to the United States and, uh, there were no laws there about producing cryptography. Mm. So, uh, I think that's something that people place. They have like three cases of COVID there ever. Oh really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting place. Yeah. I, okay. I used to work down there. It's, it's really? Like, United, okay, international traffic and arms regulation. It's a United States regulatory regime to restrict and control the export of defense and military-related technologies to safeguard U.S. national security and further U.S. foreign policy objectives. ITAR. Yeah, they were closed. Anguilla was closed until, like, uh, November. They wouldn't let anybody in. Okay. And, yeah, if you want to go there, they have, like, I was reading they have all these crazy restrictions. You have to get COVID tested and... You have to apply, and and, huh. and then when you get there, they test you when you get there because yeah. they have a keeping it real. They have a no deaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like Anguilla. It's a it's a interesting place. Yeah, this is what I was reading. They're inviting companies to come move here. Like, come work here. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting, yeah. come. Yeah. We'll test the shit out of you, and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> but come here. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. I used to work on boats down there. Yeah. yeah. What'd um, you do on boats? Uh, I was like really. Um, I don't know. I, I, for a while, was like really into sailing and uh, I had a commercial license. I was moving boats around and stuff. Uh, My parents lived in a sailboat for a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they just Cruising? decided to just check out. And, and uh, this was like, I want to say like early 2000s, somewhere around uh, then. They just sense. lived on a sailboat for a few yeah. years. So my mom got tired of it. They just, go around the world? Or? Uh, they went, they were in the Bahamas. Yeah. They were uh they were all around like that part of the world and they they were in California for a little while on their boat. Yeah, they just they just decided like uh, let's just live on a boat for a while. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I I I discovered sailing by accident where I was like um working on a project with a friend in the early 2000s and we were looking on Craigslist for something unrelated and we saw a boat that was for sale for $4,000. And I thought a boat was like a million dollars or something. Right. I was just like, what? You, the sailboats are 4000 And this is just some listing. There's probably even cheaper boats, you know? Uh, and so we got really into it. And we discovered that you can go to any America, any uh, marina in North America and get a boat for free. You know, that like every marina has a lean sail dock on it where people have stopped paying their slip fees and the boats are just derelict and abandoned. And they've you know, put it on these docks. And really? Yeah. They'll you get have a an boat for free? Yeah. They have an auction. But, uh, there's usually like a, a minimum bid of, you know. 50 bucks. 50 bucks or whatever, you know? And most times it doesn't get bit on and they chop the boat up and uh, throw it away. Really? And if you show so up... So a functional boat? Well, functional oh, is... <laughs> that's the problem, right? You know... Uh, you got to maintain the shit out of boats. Yeah. So, you know, if you put some work into it, though, you can get it going. And uh, so we started doing that. We were, like, you know, getting boats, fixing them up, sailing them as far as we could. And then uh, eventually I got a commercial license and started 
sailing other people's boats. But, wow. Yeah. All this on a whim of how much does a boat cost? You can get a boat for four grand? Holy shit. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're working on boats. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, it's a really, it's a whole world, you know? It's just like, you know, finding that link on Craigslist was like, you know, opening a door to another reality, right? Where it's like, yeah. Because it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, uh, you know, me and some friends used to sail around the Caribbean and, um, you know, the, the feeling of like, you know, you pull up an anchor and then you sail like, you know, 500 miles to some yeah. other country or whatever. And you get there and you drop the anchor and you're just like, we, it was just the wind. Yeah. The wind that took, you know, like there was no engine, there was no fuel. It was just the wind, you know, and you catch fish and, you, you know, it's just like. You're, if you want to go real old school, you got to use one of them. What are those fucking sextants? Sextant, of course. That's do you use did, one of those? Yeah, yeah. No, you didn't. Yeah. Did you like, really? I was like really into like, you know, no electronics. Like it's just complicated. You know, they're expensive or whatever. So we had a Tafrail log. You seen a one what? of those things? No, what's that? It's like a little uh, propeller on a string uh, that you connect to a gauge. And as it turns, the gauge keeps track of how far you've traveled. Uh, what? Yeah. So it's like... Uh, you a know, propeller on a string? So it's just a thing that turns a string at a constant rate, depending uh-huh. on how fast you're moving. So, oh. uh, so it can gauge how much distance distance you've traveled. So, are the is the string marked? No, 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 no. Uh, like it's just so a constant length. That's it's always spinning and it's always turning the gauge. Uh, so, and then it reads a number. So it says so there's just like how a many dial miles? on the number of how many nautical miles you've traveled. Wow. And so then you're just like, okay, well we've started here, and then we headed, you know, on this heading. And, you know, we did that and we traveled 10 months. So we must be here, you know, and then, you know, once a day you can take a, a site with your sextant and then you can, you know, do some dead reckoning with a compass. And uh, Wow, yeah, dude, yeah. you went old school. Yeah, I, I once had a job actually. Who did you do this with? Just friends, yeah. And you got to have some fucking committed friends because, like, the friends had to be, you know, you had to be all on the same page. Because they could be like, hey, man, let's get a fucking GPS. You guys are assholes. I don't want to die. I'm we not going to get eaten by a shark. How much food do we have? People die out here, man. We, this is the ocean. We didn't really have any money. So it was like, you know, it wasn't like uh, much of a decision. I mean, we, you know, it's like, let's put things in perspective. Like, you know, we took a trip to uh, through the Caribbean once from Florida. The way that we got to Florida was like riding freight trains to the, you know, we like hopped trains to get there. You know, it's like this was like low, low oh. budget uh, traveling. Yeah. You guys were hobos. No, but, uh, we, you know. That's we, a hobo move. It, it was low bagger for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, I was a, I was also, like, uh, just weirdly ideological about it. Where, like, um, I had a job once in the Caribbean that was, like, um, I was almost like a camp counselor, basically. Where there was this camp that was, like, a sailing camp. But it was, like, 13 teenagers, mostly from North America, showed up in St. Martin and then got on a boat with me and uh, the, another woman my age. And we were, like, the adults. And then it was just like we sailed from St. Martin to Trinidad over the course of six weeks with these like 13 kids on a 50-foot sailboat. Who left their kids with you? That's what I want to know, man. It was like... Is this you? What oh, you yeah. So we made a... Uh, me and my friends made a video called Hold Fast uh, that was trying to demystify sailing. Uh, Bro, you've our... been rocking this wacky hair for a long time. Dude, I know. Me and <laughs> you know, pandemic. You know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Whoa, you had tornadoes out there? Yeah. And you caught fish? Yeah, yeah. So you lived off the fish that you caught, basically? Yeah, fish, conch, seaweed. Wow, seaweed. Yeah. So when you prepare seaweed, what do you do? You boil it? 
You need to sharpen your fucking knife, son. I know. That's dude. ridiculous. Know. What are you yeah, using? A pencil to try to kill that poor fish? This is embarrassing. <laughs> this whole video is embarrassing. But uh, so thank you for that. Because you kind of didn't know what you were doing. And here's you with uh, your. What are you doing here? You're mapping out where this you're is at. Dead reckoning. Yeah. Dead reckoning. Yeah. That position was 50 miles off. 50 miles off. <laughs> so where you thought you were versus where you actually were was 50 miles difference. Yeah. And you're going how many miles an hour? Very slow. If you're doing really well, you know, you're making five knots, five nautical miles an hour. Five miles an hour. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so you're walking. You're basically walking on the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Not it's walking. Slow. It's slow going. But you never stop. That's the thing. You can sail right. all night. You can just keep going. You know? You're a light jog. Yeah. You're jogging on the ocean. Yeah, anyway, I was a tyrant with these kids where like we had like a nice boat and I just dis disabled all of the electronics and I like disabled the electric uh, anchor windlass. How you know? long like, you have to pull was this, this up boat? By hand. How was, long was this boat? Uh, this was 50 feet. Yeah. 50 feet with 14 kids, you said? Thir I think 13. Yeah. 50 is a big boat. That's actually a big boat. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like a lot of room for all these kids. Yeah, people are like sleeping on the deck and in the cockpit. Oh my yeah. God, that's insane. Yeah. Did you feel weird that you were, I mean, you're responsible for their food? You're responsible for making sure they don't fight with each other? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually enjoyed it. I think it was fun. Yeah? And what seemed like it, like, it's a, yeah, yeah, I have to make it work. There's no other solution. You're on this boat with these yeah, kids. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with those kids? No, that was sort of like pre-social media. Right. Know, so, not really. They're going to reach out to you now. They go, man, I remember that. That was fucking crazy. Can't believe my parents <laughs> left me with you. I can't believe they did either, man. <laughs> so did you have to sign any paperwork or anything? Like, how did you take care of these kids? I'm sure I had to sign something. I don't, I don't remember. You don't that. remember? Yeah. Wow. Was there any time where you were like halfway into this trip? You're like, what have I signed up for? Oh, sure. All the time. Yeah. But I was, I, you know, I, I'd never really been in a situation like that either. And um, Who has? I don't know. It's like I didn't even have siblings, you know. Like it's like. Uh, oh really? Yeah. So, but I, I and I was pretty. I, you know, it was interesting. I feel like I learned a lot, and it was. Um, but I was pretty like um, tyrannical in a lot of ways, you know. Where and but in a way that I was trying to like encourage. It was it was fun to see, um, particularly teenagers who had like a really sort of North American affect about how to be, um, just like let all of that go, um, mm. over a few weeks you know on the ocean where it's just like you know it's just us we're here there's nobody else watching um you know we're sleeping next to each other you know it's like the kids just getting comfortable with um themselves you know mm. and and you know i would try and like so i was like um i am uh really into rock paper scissors uh how into it are you i'm i'm undefeated <laughs> uh and how so is that possible so whenever they wanted anything, I would be like, all right, rock, paper, scissors. You know, they'd be like, can we like do this thing? I'd be like, all right, we'll do rock, paper, scissors. If you win, you can do this thing. If I win, and then I would like pick the thing that was like their sort of deepest fear, you know, where it's like the really shy person had to like write a haiku about every day and then read it aloud at dinner. You know, like the, you know, the person who was like really into like, um, having like a manicure, like wasn't allowed to shave her legs for the rest of the trip, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, wow. And so then by the end of it, it was just like, you know, everyone had lost, you know, so everyone was like reading the haiku at dinner and doing, you know. So. How are you so good at rock, paper, scissors? It's just, you know, skill, muscle, intuition. Intuition. Yeah. Can we play right now? You want to play? Yes. Oh, but I only play for stakes. Okay. What do you want to play for? Okay. 
How about... Uh, if I win, I do the programming on your show for a week. No. <laughs> That's worth a lot of money. You can fuck off. What kind of money? What do you think? I'm, That's gonna, like, no, I'm not saying like the ads or whatever. I'm saying like, like the, programming, like who's going to be on? Yeah, who's going to be on? That's not possible. We're booked up months and months in advance. You were so and confident until no, just now. We no, no, no. A month, that's, few months that's, off, that's ridiculous to flip a coin on that. There's, there's no chance. I mean, what, what, what would be? Because the then you'd make me have conversation. Listen, the whole reason why this show works is because I talk to people that I want to talk to. Uh-huh. That's why it works. Yeah. Well, the only you, you way risk something to play this game. That's not a risk. That's it's just that's, one week of your no. Life that's show. abandoning the show. That's one week of your life. No, you could bring some assholes on here that I want to talk to, and then I'm like, what am I doing? No, no, no. impossible. Right. Well, do you think that there's something of equivalent value? No. There's no, nothing, that? nothing that I could no. do. No. There's nothing that you could wow. give me that would be worth a week of programming on the show. What are you going to give me? You'd what have about to a day of programming? You'd have to give me what, a spectacular uh, amount of money. I sent you a... <laughs> it would be, it would, like, well, we can't but I, I would, But that's the only way I would... Be, like, the only way... Like, if you ever put a monetary equivalent to that, it would have to be a spectacular amount of money for me to let someone else program the show. I've never let anybody do that before. Not even was, for one day? No. That was the big, one of the big things about doing this show on Spotify. They could have no impact at all on who gets on, no suggestions, no nothing. The only way it works... Well, what was up with that dude in the suit outside with the clipboard that was telling me from Spotify? Oh, he's from the government. He's from the CIA. <laughs> no, there's no one out there. He's joking. But... The only way the show works, I think, the way it works is I have to be interested in talking to the people. That's it. So it's it has to be. I get a. I have like all these suggestions for guests. I go, oh, that guy seems cool. Oh, that might be interesting. What, what if I let me read up on this what guy? What if it's like for a week? I no. give you the list of suggestions. No, no, no input. No input. Right. No, it's not. That's that's a ridiculous. Stand real. Stand real. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Impossible. In about, any case, how about five bucks? <laughs> No, <laughs> no, it's got to be. Come steaks. on, man! Twenty bucks. Steaks. Twenty no, bucks. I got twenty on. bucks no, in my no. pocket. Money is off the table. We can't. Do Money's money. off yeah. the table. Forget that. All right. Sounds like someone's scared to lose at rock paper scissors. It sounds like someone else is scared to lose it. No, rock, you're paper, asking paper. me for something that's ridiculous. <laughs> you don't have anything. You don't have anything that's worth a week uh, of programming on this show. You don't have it. That's rough. It doesn't exist. That's rough. No, it doesn't. It literally doesn't exist. Like there's not. Like you don't. There's nothing. That you can have that you could offer me that I couldn't buy myself. I'll make you. I'll make. I'll. I'll no, no, I think no. Will be interesting. No, no, enjoy no. Talking with them. You can't. No. All right, fine. All right. But that doesn't we do anything for me. That does something no, for no, you. Of that course. does zero of for you me. You would have if you win. You would name your stake. I don't have a stake. Okay, okay. There's nothing I want from All you. Right. All right, well, that what you ask from me then, is a crazy thing. Game. Yeah, we can't play rock paper scissors then, huh? Interesting. Anyway, we were talking about something else before all of this. We were talking about. Crypto, crypto, the, the evolution sailing, of sailing with children, sailing with children. Well, first we were talking about Anguilla, yes, and the fact yeah. that we were moving to Anguilla. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, how did you learn how to do all this stuff? Was it trial by fire? Were you learning how to use all this? I mean, I don't want to call it ancient equipment, but mechanical equipment to oh, figure out how to. Yeah. Yeah. Secret is to begin. Just start. Yeah, I mean, so... Like a sextant. Where the fuck does one learn how to operate a sextant and then navigate in the ocean? Uh, yeah, just I would 
you know, I started, uh, you know, me and some friends got a boat and um, we started fixing it up and making a lot of mistakes. And then, you know, we started taking some trips and then... Getting I, lost. I, yeah, I got lost a bunch. I took a solo trip from San Francisco to Mexico and back uh, on a little 27-foot boat with no engine. And Whoa. That's How long did I that really, take? Uh, a few months. Yeah. And the way you did it, did you stay close? So I can see the there's the, the shore. So if everything fucks up, I can kind of swim. Yeah, well, no, you can't swim. Uh, I learned that lesson, too. No? Uh, Why? It's, um, I mean, the closest I ever came to death in my life uh, was just in the bay. Uh, in the San Francisco Bay, I was on a boat that capsized, and um, I was probably 2,000 yards away from shore. And uh, I almost drowned. And I, I mean, I didn't make it to shore. And, um, yeah, it's just the water's so cold, you know. Uh, you didn't make it to shore? No, yeah, it's a long story. I was like, um, I, a friend of mine was living in San Francisco and he wanted to learn how to sail. And I was like, you know what you should do is you should get like a little boat, like a little sailing dinghy, you know, and then you can just anchor it like off the shore in this area that no one cares about. And, you know, you could just sort of experiment with this little boat. And so he started looking on Craigslist and he found this boat that's for sale for 500 bucks up in, uh, up in the North Bay. And uh, every time we called the phone number, we got an answering machine that was like hello you've reached dr ken thompson honorary i'm unable to take your call you know and we were like what is that like honorary it's like a fake is doctor it, is he like a judge a and chiropractor. A doctor? Is a, you know like what is it you know and so finally we got in touch with this guy we go up there and it's this this is the kind of situation where like we pull up and there's like the trailer that the boat's supposed to go on and it's just full of scrap metal you oh know? boy and you know and you know this guy comes out and he's like oh yeah this is the trailer um we were gonna do a metal run but if you want the boat you know we'll take the the metal off you know and we're like okay you know and he's like <laughs> taking us around he's, he's like okay the mast is over here and it's like under some leaves and you know and it's like and then you know the the hole is in the water here and and it's he has like a dock behind his house and the tide is all the way out so the boat's just sitting in the mud you know and i'm like well how would we get this out of here he's like oh you'd have to come back at a different time uh, you know, and then you take it over there and we're like, you told us to come now, like at this time, you know what? Anyway, so we go through all of this thing, you know, and, and he, and, you know, my friend who knows nothing about boats is like, all right, Moxie, like, what do you think? You know, should I get this? And I was like, okay. Oh, and we, we were like, so what's it, you know, doctor of what? He's like, oh, self-declared, you know, we're like, oh, okay. okay. He's a self-declared doctor? <laughs> yeah. Honorary. Honorary yeah, self-declared yeah. doctor. Yeah. You can do that? I guess. So. Why not? Mm. It's just an answer. Jamie. Yes. Uh, doctor? Think, yes. I think uh, we should become doctors. I just became one. <laughs> <laughs> I tried that for a while, actually. Yeah. Did you really? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I never went to college. So. Did Hunter S. Thompson ever get an honorary degree? Or did he just call himself Dr. Hunter S. Thompson? Because he was t- calling himself Dr. Same trick. Same trick. Hunter S. Thompson for a while. Up how fast Edward Benet did this legally. Well, oh, Bill Cosby became a doctor for a little bit. They took it back, though. That's when you know yeah. you fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They take back your fake doctor degree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this guy was like, he, you know, my friend's like, what do you think, Moxie? And I'm like, all right, Dr. Ken. I would have to consider. That. I'm not sure that I would do it, but I would consider taking this boat for free. I'd have to think about it, but wow. I would consider that, you know. And he's like, I might be amenable to that. You know, so we've gone from like, you know, okay. $500 to free. Uh, and so we got this boat, you know, and it was, Sounds we, good. we had to deal with the metal and all this stuff. We got the boat and... um we were just trying to do like a little, um, we we're just trying to anchor it. Uh, Did you bring life vests? Yeah, I was wearing a, a, a PFD, yeah, a type, type 2 PFD. And um, uh, we, took it, we took it to this boat ramp, and it was the end of the day, and the wind was blowing kind of hard, and uh, the conditions weren't that good. But I was like, oh, we're just doing this little thing, this little maneuver. 
and we were in two boats, I built this little wooden uh, rowing boat. Uh, and my friend was going to go out in that with one anchor, and I was going to sail you out. This built little... it? Yeah, out of uh, plywood. It's a stitching glue. Uh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, but it, you know, not the sturdiest vessel. So, uh, and so, you know, he's going to go out in this little rowboat, and I was going to sail out this, uh, this little catamaran. And we had two anchors, and we we're going to anchor, and then we we're going to get in the rowboat and row back. And um, it seemed a little windy. And, you know, I got in the boat first, and I got out around this pier and was hit by the full force of the wind and realized that it was blowing like 20 knots. It was way, way too much for what we were trying to do. But I had misrigged part of the boat, so it took me a while to get it turned around. Um, and by the time I got it turned around, my friend had rowed out um, around the pier, and he got hit by the force of the wind and just got blown out into the bay. Oh, so, so he's rowing directly into the wind and moving backwards. You know, oh, shit. And I was like, fuck. And I'm on this little Hobie cat, and it was moving so fast. Like, it, it was way too windy to be sailing this thing. I've got just my clothes on. I don't have a wetsuit on or anything like that. I have a life jacket and just my clothes. And we don't have a radio. We don't, you know, we're unprepared. Oh. We have, it's starting to get dark. We don't have a light. Um, and I'm sailing back and forth trying to, like, help my friend. Uh, and it got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm just going to tack over. I'm going to sail up uh, to this boat that was called the Sea Louse. Sail up to the Sea Louse. I'm going to get my friend off of it. We're just going to abandon it. And then we're going to sail this Hobie Cat back uh, if we can. And so I go to turn around. And right as I'm turning around, a gust of wind hit the boat and capsized it before I could even know that it was happening. You know, just it's just like... You just, it's one moment you're on the boat and the next moment you're in the water, you know? And the water was like 50 degrees, um, like super, uh, it like is a shock, you know, when it hits you. And the boat was a little messed up in a way where it, I couldn't ride it. Uh, it, it had capsized and then the whole, it, it capsized all the way and then sank. Uh, and so it was floating oh, like, shit. like, you know, three feet underwater basically. Um, and so I'm in the water, but I'm like still, I'm like a little bit out of the water, but like in the water. And, you know, I had a cell phone that just Im immediately was busted. Um, and I look at my friend, and he's a ways away now. And he didn't see me. And I was, you know, yelling as loud as I could, but the wind is blowing 20 knots. And it just, you know, just, you can't hear each other, you know. just takes your, takes your voice away. And um, he just, I mean, I was screaming. I was waving. He wasn't wearing his glasses. Uh, and he just very slowly rode away. Um, oh my god and so then i was just like floating there i was starting to get dark um you know he rode away did he notice that your boat had capsized no he didn't even see me he he, he thought that i had just sailed somewhere else you know because in, in, in his mind he was i was the person with the experience do you still talk to this dude yeah all the time yeah i'd be like you motherfucker <laughs> i don't blame him in, in his mind he was the person that was in trouble right you know and i understand and he thought i just sailed somewhere else but that's crazy yeah sailed out of vision yeah, and then, you know, it, it basically got dark. I could see the shore. I wasn't far away. There's was nobody on shore. There's nobody around. And um, the wind was blowing directly offshore. So you have to swim, you know, swim into the wind uh, and into the wind wave and all that stuff. And um, eventually I tried swimming and I swam, you know, directly upwind. And I was, because I was, I was like, okay, like if I get separated from this boat and I don't make it to shore, then I'm definitely dead, you know, like there's just no saving me. Uh, so I was trying to go directly upwind so that if I felt like I couldn't make it, I would float back down when and hit the boat again. And so I tried, you know, I, I swam for probably like 20 minutes upwind and made no progress. It didn't feel like any progress, you know, my, you know, in 50 degrees, you have 30 to 60 minutes before you black out. My arms were just 
you know, it's like I consider myself a strong swimmer. Like I free dive, you know, all this stuff. And I just, you know, it's like you read these stories about uh, how people die, you know, of just like they succumb to hypothermia on a local hike or they drown in the bay, you know. And the story is always like, well, Timmy was a strong swimmer. but he And you're like, really? Was Timmy really a strong swimmer? Because he drowned in the bay, you know. And like floating there, you know, it just all came to me. I'm like, wow, this is how this happens. You know, you just make a series of pretty dumb, small decisions until you find yourself like floating in the dark in the bay. There's no one around. Oh, shit. And it's a really slow process, too. You know, it's like, it's not like, you know, you just come to terms with the idea that like, you're not going to make it. And it's not, it's not sudden. It's not like someone shot you or you got hit by a bus or something like that. It's like this hour long thing that you're getting dragged through all alone. And you, and you realize like no one will ever even know what this was, you know, how this happened. And you think about all the people like Joshua Slocum, Jim Gray, people who were lost at sea, and you realize they all had this thing that they went through, you know, this hour-long ordeal of just floating alone, and no one will even ever know what that was or what that was like, you know. And uh, eventually I realized I wasn't going to make it ashore. I looked back. The boat was, like, way far away from me. I started, you know, drifting back towards it. I was still trying to swim. I, I realized at some point that I wasn't going to hit it. I wasn't going to hit the boat on the way back downwind. And I had to just give it all that I had to try to connect with the boat, you know, to, to, to stop myself from getting blown past it. And in that moment, too, you realize that, like, uncertainty is the most unendurable condition. You know, that, like, you imagine yourself making it to shore and relaxing, you know, just knowing that it's resolved, right? And in that moment of like, I might not make it back to this boat, you're, you're like tempted to give up because it's the same resolution. You know, it's the feeling of just knowing, you know, that the, un the uncertainties have been resolved, you know, and you have to really remind yourself that it's not the same, you know, that like you have to give it everything you have in order to survive, you know, and that that feeling that you're sort of longing for is not actually the feeling that you want, you know. Uh, and I just barely got the the end of a rope that was trailing off the, the, the back of the hole, pulled myself back on it, almost threw up. Um, then I had to, then I was just floating there with the, with the, the hole, you know, three feet underwater. I tied myself to it. Um, I started to get tunnel vision. And really at the last minute, um, I, a tugboat uh, started uh, coming through the area. And it was coming straight at me, actually. And I... I realized that it probably just wouldn't even see me. It would just run me over and not even know that I had been there. You know, it's totally possible. Um, and I was just, you know, I was trying to like wave. I could barely lift my arm. I was trying to scream. I could barely make any noise. And somehow they saw me and uh, they, <laughs> they like, it took them like 15 minutes to like get a rope around me and they started pulling me off the side of the boat. And it was like, lining every tugboat is um tires like tires usually um as like a fender you know and i got like wedged in the tires as they were like pulling me up and i knew what was happening you know and i was like all i have to do is stick my leg out and push against the hull of the boat you know to like go around the tires and i couldn't do it wow uh and i knew and i could barely see and they like swung me around and eventually pulled me up they like put me in uh next to the engines in the engine room i couldn't you know i couldn't even feel the heat uh and they called the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard came and got me. It was, like, really embarrassing. And you know, the Coast Guard, like, you know, the, the, the Coast Guard guy's, like, you know, he's, like, got all these blankets over me, and he's, like, trying to, like, talk to me to, like, keep me, like, alert, you know? And, uh, and you know, he's, like, so is this, is this your first time sailing? <laughs> <laughs> and I have, like, a commercial, like, like a 250-ton, like, master's license. You know, like, it's, like, you need 
600 days at sea to get this license, you know? Uh, and I was like, no, I, I have a master's license. You know, he was like, what? He's like, you're a fucking idiot, man. You know, like everything changed. The tone totally changed, you know? Oh my know. God, dude. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, did that change that. your appreciation for comfort and safety and just life in general? Did it like, yeah, totally. I mean, it changed. Well, you know, for sure the next day I was like, um, you know, it's just like any near death experience. I feel like you're just like, what are we doing here? You know, mm. like what's the, why are we wasting our time with this? You know, at the time I was working at Twitter, uh, and you know, you know, your coworkers are like, Oh, we got this problem with the slave lag on the database. And you're just like, what are we doing, man? You know, right. shouldn't we be doing something else? You know? Like, uh, but you can't, I feel like you can't live like that for long. You know, that like, the what are we doing, man? You know, the, it's like, it, it, it's impossible. The world will like suck you back into it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you go to Anguilla. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those early crypto people are actually still in Anguilla. Really? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we were talking about selling Anguilla. Yeah. So those those people, the people who moved to Anguilla, um, you know, were part of this moment of like. How much did that shift your direction in your life, though? Did it did it change, like the way? Like it seems almost. I, I mean, I haven't had a near death experience, but I've had a lot of psychedelic experiences, and in some ways, I think they're kind of similar. And that life shifts. To the point where whatever you thought of life before that experience is almost like, oh, come on. That's nonsense. Yeah. I mean, it changes your perspective. Or it did for me. And, um, you know, because also in that moment, you know, it's like, you know, I think you go through this sort of embarrassing set of things where you're like, oh, I had these things I was going to do tomorrow. Like, I'm not going to be able to do them. You know? And then you're like, wait, why? why is that the thing that I'm concerned about? You know, it's like. It's sort of trivial thing. Yeah, trivial. You know, we're just like, oh, I was going to see that person tomorrow. I'm not going to see that. You know, the, or it's just like, you know, you're like, I, I feel like I remember I was supposed to meet somebody the next day. I remember being worried that they would think that I like stood them up or something. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that I. You have the awesomest excuse ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dead. just tell them yeah. that story <laughs> yeah. the way you just told it to me, and they're going to be like, oh, good, dude, it's, we're good. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Glad you're all right. Yeah, but My I mean, God. just that kind of stuff, you know, and then and then you, you know, get more into the, yeah, it changes the way you think about things. And I and certainly, you know, it's like I was working at Twitter at the time, and I think um, it made me think about how I was spending my life. And, you know, I was, you know, it's like the, I mean, even, I, I remember the first day that uh, I was at Twitter, um, the, at the time, uh, the most popular person on Twitter was Justin Bieber. He had more followers than any other person. You know, was that when you guys were trying to rig it so that he wasn't uh, trending number one always? Because they did do that, right? I don't remember that. No, I wasn't. Oh, that. Well, I don't remember that. Conveniently, because <laughs> <laughs> Jamie and I were talking about that one day. Because they had to do something. Because if they didn't do something, Justin Bieber would be the number one topic every day, no matter what was happening in the world. I can believe that they wanted to change that because the pro the problem was at the time Twitter was held together with like, you know, bubble gum and like dental floss or whatever, you know. So it's like every time Bieber would tweet, like, you know, the lights would dim and like the building would like <laughs> kind of shake a little bit, you know. Here it goes. <clears throat> so they block me from trending. This is 2010. I'm actually honored, not even Matt. He's also 12. 
Then I get on and see yet again my fans are unstoppable. Love y'all. Okay. But okay, so there's you know people talk about like <clears throat> invisible labor, like the invisible labor behind that tweet. <laughs> is just kind of comical because it's like when he did that you know people like you know it's like my first day there you know it's like he he tweeted something and you know the building's like kind of shaking and like alarms are going off people are like scrambling around you know and it was just this you know it's like this realization where you're just like never in my life did i think that anything justin bieber did would like really affect me in any like deep way you know and then here i am just like scrambling around to like facilitate what are your thoughts on curating what trends and what doesn't trend and whether or not social media should have any sort of obligation in terms of uh, how things whether or not people see things like shadow banning and things along those lines like i'm very torn on this stuff because i i i think that things should just be and if you have a situation where justin bieber is the most popular thing on the internet that's just what it is. It is what it is. But I also get it. I get how you would say, well, this is going to fuck up our whole program, like what we're trying to do with this thing. What do you mean, fuck up our whole program? Well, what you're trying to do with Twitter, I mean, I would assume what you're trying to do is give people a place where they could share important information and, uh, you know, have people, you know, I mean, Twitter has been used successfully to overturn governments i mean there's there's twitter has been used to break news on very important events and alert people to danger and there's there's so many positive things about twitter and if if it's overwhelmed by justin bieber and justin bieber fan accounts and justin bieber if it's overwhelmed then the top 10 things that are trending are all nonsense i could see how someone would think we're going to do a good thing by suppressing that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, wh- why do you think they did suppress that? What do you think? You worked there. Why do you think they kept him from trending? Um, well, I mean, I don't know about that specific situation. I mean, I, I think, I think you know, looking at the larger picture, right? Like, um, in a way... You know, it's like if you think about like 20 years ago, whenever anybody talked about like society, you know, um, everyone would always say like the problem is the media. It's like the media, man. You know, if only we could change the media. And a lot of people in who were interested in like a better and brighter future were really focused on self-publishing. There were whole conferences about it, underground, underground publishing conference, now the Allied Media Conference. People were writing zines. Uh, people were, you know, getting their own printing presses. Uh, people you know, we we were convinced that if we um, made publishing more equitable, if everybody had the equal ability to like produce and consume content, that the world would change. And in some ways, like what we have today is like the fantasy of, you know, those dreams from 20 years ago. Um, but in a couple of ways, you know, like, uh, one, you know, it was it was it was the dream that if you know, a cop kills some random person in the suburbs of St. Louis, that like everyone would know about it, you know, um, just do, 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 you know everyone knows, um, and also that anybody could share their weird ideas about the world, you know, and I think in some ways um, we were wrong, you know, that we thought 
uh, like, you know, the one we got today is like, yeah, like if a cop kills somebody in, in the suburbs of St. Louis, like everybody knows about it. I think we overestimated how much that would matter. Uh, and I think we also believed that the things that everyone would be sharing were like our weird ideas about the world. And instead we got like, you know, flat earth and uh, <laughs> like, you know, uh, anti-vax and like, you know, all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's like, in a sense, like I'm glad that those things exist because they're like, they're sort of what we wanted, you know? Uh, but I think what we did, what we underestimated is like how uh, important the medium is. Like the medium is the message kind of thing. And that like, what we were doing at the time of like, you know, writing zines and sharing information, we, I don't think we understood how much that was predicated on like actually building community and like relationships with each other. And that like, just um, like what we didn't want was just like more channels on the television. And that's sort of what we got, you know? Mm. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's like everyone is like on YouTube trying to monetize their content, whatever, you know? And that it's the same thing, you know, like bad business models produce like bad technology and bad outcomes. and. So I think there's concern about that, but I think, um, I think like, you know, now that there's, there's like, you know, these two simultaneous truths that everyone seems to believe that are in contradiction with each other, you know, like one is that like, um, everything is relative, uh, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, all opinions are equally valid. And two, like, um, our democracy is impossible without a shared understanding of what is true and what is false the information that we share needs to be verified by our most trusted institutions. You know? mm. Like people seem to simultaneously believe both of these things. And yeah. I think um, they're in direct contradiction with each other. Um, and I, so in some ways, I think most of the questions about, you know, social media in our time are about like trying to resolve those contradictions. And, but I think, you know, um, I think it's way more complicated than the way uh, that the social media companies are trying to portray it. Yeah, I think there's, simplistic methods that they're using to um, to handle complex realities. Like, for instance, like um, uh, banning QAnon, sure. right? This is, this is a big one, right? Because QAnon's got these wacky theories, and then, like, Jesus Christ, these are weaponizing all these yeah. nutbags. And, like, we're just going to ban QAnon. Mm -hmm. But then, well, where do you – because you think what they're saying is not – true and not correct but like how far do you go with that you've sort of set a precedent and wh where does that end because you know are we going to ban jfk theories because jfk murders are probably yeah, still yeah, relevant yeah. today some of those people are still alive do we ban uh there's there's theories about the challenger this the space shuttle challenger there's a lot of wacky conspiracy theories about the this space conspiracy theories about the space being fake have you ever seen hashtag space is fake? Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Go yeah, on there if you want to. If you want to really yeah. fucking just lose all faith in humanity, look up space is fake. <laughs> but like, I think, oh my God, there's so many people. Yeah, and I think that people get something out of that. that yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, people get something out of mysteries and, and maybe being on the inside and knowing things where the rest of the world is asleep. This is the, the reason why people love the idea of red pilled. You know, someone yeah, even yeah. suggested I call this room the red pill. My friend Radio Rahim said, call it the red pill. I'm like, ah, there's a lot riding on that term. <laughs> Too bad because I'm a giant fan of the Matrix. But that, that term has been co-opted uh, forever. Yeah. But this idea that you're just going to ban people from discussing stupid ideas, 
where does that end? You know, does it end with flat earth? Are you going to, you going to ban that? They're going to go, Oh, they're suppressing us. And then they're going to find these alter. That's the thing about all these weird alternative sources of social media, whether it's parlor or gab, they become shit fests. Sure. If you go to those, especially Gab, it's just like, God damn, what have you guys done? It's not even what have they done. It's what have the people done that have all been kicked out of all these other places. And then if you have a place that says, we're not going to kick you out, and then all these fucking cretins come piling into these places. And I'm sure there's a lot of good people on Gab. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people that are, <laughs> they just didn't want to be suppressed by social media. Parlor doesn't seem to be nearly as bad. Uh, I've looked at that as well. It's more like just super right-wing information type stuff. And there's some reasonable people on parlor, but, but I, I, I think that there's like a, a subtle thing there. Cause I don't know how those things work, but like, I think part of what, um, if you, if you, if you, um, set aside all of the like takedown stuff, you know, mm -hmm. all the deplatforming stuff, if, yeah. if you say like, okay, Facebook, Twitter, you know, these, these companies, like, they, they don't do that anymore. They've never done that, you know. They're still moderating content. You know, they have an algorithm that decides, like, what is seen and what isn't. Right. You know, and in a way... But what is, how is that all algorithm programmed? Like, what is... For, for Facebook and for YouTube and a lot of these things, it's done to encourage viewership. It's, it's done to encourage interaction, right? This is it's the, done to encourage time spent yes. looking at the screen. Yeah, so that's how they monetize it. They yes. want more clicks and more more yeah. ad views and all that jazz. Um, but when it becomes an ideological moderation, that's when things get a little weird, right? But it, it, it's, it is by definition an ideological moderation. You know, that the, 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 if you optimize for time spent looking at the screen, you're going to be encouraging certain kinds of content and not others. And okay, but that's not always true. Like, I'll give you an example for us. Um, we did an, a podcast with Kanye West. Mm -hmm. Kanye West was running for president, right? Mm -hmm. And if you were running for president and you were outside the norm, like for instance, Twitter banned Brett Weinstein's. Brett Brett Weinstein had a um, he had a, a Twitter account that was set up for it was Unity Twenty Twenty. And the idea was like, instead of looking at this in terms of left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, let's get reasonable people from both sides, like a, a Tulsi Gabbard and a Dan Crenshaw, bring them together and perhaps maybe put into people's minds the idea that like this idea, this concept of uh, we, it has to be a Republican vice president, a Republican president. Maybe that's nonsense. And maybe it would be better if we had reasonable, intelligent people together. What is this? Is there video? Yeah. Um, well, it, it's a very rational perspective. It's not conspiracy theory driven. They got banned from Twitter. Hmm. And for what? For nothing. Just because they were promoting a third party. Because yeah. they were trying to come up with some alternative. And the idea was this could siphon off votes from Biden. We want Biden to win because Trump is bad. Sure, 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 yeah. This is the narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's... Man, there's a lot here, but the yeah. the. But I was gonna say the Conway. I, I got sidetracked. I'm sorry. Let me finish. Yeah. The Kanye West thing. So we had a podcast with Kanye West. Um, it got I don't know how many millions of views, but it was a lot. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't trending. And so Jamie, you contacted the people at YouTube and asked them why it's trending. What was their answer? It's not trending. Um, 
it, like it didn't meet the qualifications they decided for trending or something like that. <laughs> no, like it, like it didn't include everything you would assume. Like you just said, all the interactivity comments. Mm-hmm. It had it had more comments than any yeah. video we had. But that's what like, I mean. The, the, massive the, amounts of comments, massive amounts of views, but yet nowhere to be seen on the trending. But I don't think there was a person involved. Like there there was an algorithm involved that was trying to. Optimize for certain things. Not no. in this case. No. Oh, not this. You think a this person. specific case? Yeah, there's a team there. There's separate see, teams at YouTube, right. of my understanding. Yeah. yeah, and the separate team had made a distinction. And I don't even know if they told the person who told me that what it was. So he, that person may not know either. So they just decided this is not worthy of trending. So you have arbitrary decisions that are being made by people, most likely because they feel that ideologically. Kanye West is not aligned with. I mean, he's, he was wearing the MAGA hat for a while. It's a lot, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know. So they just decided this is not trending, but it is trending. It's clearly trending. Yeah, it got well, millions and millions and millions yeah. of people were watching it. Whether there, you know, it's like whether there are. But I think this is the point. You know, it's like whether there, whether it's people, whether it's algorithms. You know, there are forces that are making decisions about what people see and what people don't see, right. and they're based on. Uh, certain objectives that I think are most often business objectives. But not in this case. I mean, this maybe, case, okay, the business not. objective okay, was you know. if they wanted to get more eyeballs on it, they would want it to be trending. And people say, oh, shit, yeah, Kanye West like, is on the do, Jerry. Do people that like Kanye like click on ads or not? You know, it's like, do people that, you know, it's like there's there's a lot, there's a lot in there that we don't know. You oh, know, like they, that's horseshit. Come on, bro. I don't know. There's I mean, maybe, you know, maybe they're making ideological decisions. Of, millions and millions. When you have a video that's being viewed by that many people, there's going to be a lot of goddamn people clicking on ads. No well, matter I what. Mean, the other thing that these platforms want is for their, for the content to be ad safe. You know, it's like maybe advertisers don't, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's, but I think actually focusing on the like the outlying cases of like, this person was deplatformed. This person was intentionally, ideologically not, um, promoted or mm-hmm. you know, de- de-emphasized well, shadow banning. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that that like obfuscates or you know uh, draws attention away from the larger thing that's happening, which is that like um, those things are happening just implicitly all the time, and that like it it almost like serves to the advantage of these platforms to highlight the times when they remove somebody because what they're trying to do is reframe this as like okay, well yeah, we've got these algorithms or whatever. Don't don't talk about that. The problem is there's just these bad people, you know, and we have to decide. There's bad content from bad people, and we have to decide, you know, what to do about these bad con- this bad content and these bad people. Um, and I think that distracts people from the the fact that like the platforms are every at every moment making a decision about what you see and what you don't see. That um, is not as apparent, you know. I see what you're saying. Um, so there's more than one problem. There's a problem of deplatforming because <clears throat> in, in many ways he's deplatforming decisions are being made based on ideology. It's a sp- certain specific ideology that the people that are deplatforming the other folks have that doesn't align with the, the people that are being deplatformed. These people that are being deplatformed, they have ideas that these people find offensive or they don't agree with. So they say, we're going to take you off. Yeah. Or sometimes they just find themselves in a trap, you know that like a trap well i think that there's like okay so like there's a, i think a tendency for a lot of these platforms to you know make try to define some policy about like what it is that they want they don't want you know and i feel like that's sort of a throwback to this like modernist view of science and how science works and we can like objectively and rigorously define these things um and 
I just don't think that's actually how the world works. And that like, once, what do you mean? How so? Um, I feel like we're just past that, you know, that it's not like, um, first of all, I think, you know, science is not about truth. It's just not, it's about utility. What do you mean? Do you agree? Um, okay. You know, it's like, I was taught Newtonian physics in high school. Okay. Why? It's not true. You know, we, that's not how the universe works. Um, but it's still useful and that's why it's taught uh, because you can use it to predict motion outcomes, that kind of thing. Right? You know? What's incorrect about Newtonian physics in the sense that they shouldn't be teaching it? Um, I mean, today, you know, people believe that the truth is that, you know, there's like, you know, relativity, like gravity is not a force. There's like, you know, these planes and stuff, whatever, you know, that like there are other models for, to describe how the universe works. Um, and Newtonian physics is considered outmoded. But it still has utility in, in the fact that you can use it to predict the... So you're talking about in terms of quantum physics and string theory and a lot of these more... Yeah, it's like relativity at like the large scale quantum, you know, quantum physics at the, the small scale. And even those things are most likely not true in the sense that they aren't consistent with each other. And people are trying to unify them and find something that does make sense at like both of the scales. You know, the, the history of science is a history of things that weren't actually true. You know, Bohr's model of the atom, Newtonian physics. Like, you know, people have these... Uh, uh, you know, Copernicus's model of the solar system. You know, people have these ideas of like how things work. And the reason that people are drawn to them is because they actually have utility. That it's like, oh, we can use this to predict the motion of the planets. Oh, we can use this to send a rocket into space. Oh, we can use this to, uh, you know, have better outcomes, you know, for some medical procedure or whatever. But it's not actually, um, I don't, I, I think it's not actually truth. Like the, the, the point of it isn't truth. The point of it is that like we have some utility that we find in these things. And I think that, um, you know, when you look at, like, the, the emergence of science um, and, you know, people conceiving of it as a truth, it became this new authority that everyone was trying to appeal to. You know, if you look at, like, all of the, like, 19th century polit political philosophy, uh, I mean, okay, I think the question of truth is, like, you know, it's even a little squishy with the hard sciences, right? But once you get into, like, soft sciences, like social science, psychology like then it's even squishier, you know, that like these things are really not about truth. They're about like some kind of utility. And when you're talking about utility, the important question is like useful for what and to whom, mm. you know? And I think that's just always the important question to be asking, right? Um, because, you know, when you look at like all the 19th century political writing, it's all trying to frame things in terms of science in this way that it just seems laughable now. But, mm. you know, it, like at the time they were just like, we're going to prove that communism is like the most true, like social economic system in the world, mm -hmm. you know? Like their whole disciplines of that people in uh you know people had like phds in that you know their whole research departments uh, in the soviet union people doing that and we laugh about that now but i don't think it's that different than like social science in the west you know um and so i think you know it's like if you lose sight of that then you can try then you try to like frame social questions in terms of truths like you know it's like this is, this is the kind of content that we want and we can rigorously define that and we can define why that's going to have like the outcomes that we want it to. Uh, but once you go down that road, it's like, you know, you're like, okay, well, terrorist stuff. We don't like terrorist stuff. So we're going to like rigorously define that. And then uh, we have a policy, no terrorist stuff. And then, you know, China shows up and they're like, we've got this problem with terrorists, the Uyghurs. You know, we need, you know, we right. see you have a policy. Right. We need to, you know. And if instead it was just like, I think if people from the beginning acknowledged that uh, this isn't some, you know, that all of objectivity is just a particular worldview and that like 
we're not going to rigorously define these things in a way of like what is true and what isn't, then I think we would have better outcomes. But that's my weird take. I mean, I think, you know, from the perspective of Signal, you know, it's like, do you know what's trending on Signal right now? No, nothing. Neither do I. No, okay. But that's, it's on a social media platform. It, but, but isn't it, there's a weird thing when you decide that you have one particular ideology that's being supported and another particular ideology that is being suppressed. And this is what conservative people feel when they're on uh, social media platforms. They're almost all, they all, almost all of them other than the ones we talked about before, Parler and Gab and the alternative ones, they're all very left-wing in terms of their the ideology that they support, the things that can get you in trouble in uh, Twitter, uh, on Twitter. Um, what did you say? But, but then the president of the United States just yeah, constantly violated every policy that they had. And but he's ridiculous. That's a, that's a ridiculous example, right? Because he's one person, and they, they've actually discussed this, that he and his tweets are more important. It's more important that they yeah. allow these tweets to get out so you could... First of all, you can understand how fucking crazy this guy is. And second of all, it's newsworthy. It's he's the leader of the the you know And also it would be um very costly from a business perspective if Yes. To... Very likely. And it, it kind of amazing that he didn't do anything along the way while he was witnessing people get deplatformed and particularly this this sort of bias towards people uh uh, on the left and this discrimination discrimination against people on the right uh, there's people on the right that have been banned and shadow banned and and blocked from posting things and you run into this situation where you wonder what exactly is a social media platform when it's just a small private company and maybe you have uh you know uh, uh some sort of a video platform and there's only a few thousand people on it and you only want videos that align with your perspective okay you're a private company you can do whatever you want but when you're the biggest video platform on earth like youtube and you decide that you are going to take down anything that disagrees with your perspective on how covid should be handled and including doctors like this is one of the things that happened doctors that were stating like there's more danger in lockdowns there's more danger in this than there is in the way we're handling it there's more there's more danger in the 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 negative aspects of the decisions that are being made than it would be to let people go to work with masks on there's more and then those those videos just get deleted those videos get blocked there's people that are yeah. opposed to current strategies with uh, all sorts of different things, and those videos get blocked. So there's an ideological basis in censorship, and so you have to you have to make a decision. Like, what are these platforms? Are these platforms simply just a private company, or is it a town hall? Is it the the way that people get to express ideas? And isn't the best way to express ideas to allow people to decide based on the better argument what is correct and what's incorrect? Like this is this is what freedom of speech is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about you have an idea, I have an idea. These two ideas come together, and then the observers get to go, "Hmm, okay, well, this guy's got a lot of facts behind him. This is this is a objective reality. This is this this is provable. And this other guy is just a crazy person who thinks the world's hollow. 
okay, this is the correct one. There's going to be some people that go, no, there's a suppression of hollow earth, and hollow earth is the truth, and hollow earth facts, and hollow earth theory. But you got to kind of let that happen. You got to, you got to kind of have people that are crazy. You got to kind of remember the the old dude that used to be they used to stand on the corners with the placards on the world is ending yeah. tomorrow. Like, They're still there. Yeah, th- but those are on Twitter now. Right, yeah. but those people, no one said you got to get rid of that guy. You would drive by and go, "Look at this crazy fuck." Those yeah, crazy fucks also... making YouTube videos. Those videos get deleted. I don't know if that's good. I kind of think that you should let those crazy fucks do that because it's not going to influence you. It's yeah, not going to okay, influence okay. me. It's going to influence people that are easily influenced. And the question is, what? Who are we protecting, and why are we protecting these people? Well, okay, but I think I think. In my mind, what's going on is like the problem is that it used to be that some person with very strange ideas about the world wearing a sign on the street corner shouting was just a person with very strange ideas about the world wearing a sign on the street corner shouting. Now there's somebody, you know, with very strange ideas about the world, and those ideas are being amplified by a billion dollar company uh, because there are algorithms that amplify that. And and what I'm saying is that instead of actually talking about that, instead of addressing that problem, those companies are trying to distract, uh, distract that, distract us from that discussion by saying, "We're just going to remove that person's content." Okay. Oh, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, amplifying that—that that was probably a bad idea. We're going to remove their content instead of looking at how to change the algorithm so that we're not amplifying things that uh, ultimately don't serve as well. Would the correct way to handle it would it be to make algorithms illegal in that respect, like to not be able to amplify or detract? To not be able to ban, shadow ban, or just to have whatever trends trend, whatever is popular, popular, whatever people like, let them like it. And yeah. and say, listen, this thing that you've done by creating an algorithm that encourages people to interact, encourages people to interact on Facebook, encourages people to spend more time on the computer, what you've done is you've kind of distorted what is valuable to people. You've changed it and and, and, yeah. and guided it in a way that is ultimately, perhaps arguably, detrimental to society. So we are going to ban algorithms. You cannot use algorithms to dictate what people see or not see. You give them a fucking search bar, and you, if they want to look up UFOs, let them look up UFOs. But don't shove it down their throat because you know they're a UFO nut. Don't, don't curate their content feed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay. It's complicated because, um, one, I have no faith in, like, when you say ban or make it illegal or whatever, I have zero faith in, like, the government being able to handle this. You yeah, know, like, nor do I. Every time I see, like, a cookie warning on a website, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah. these people are not the people that are, <laughs> this is what they've given us after all this time. You know, it's like, <laughs> these people are not going to solve this for us, you know. And, and also, I think a lot of what it is that... The, dis- the satisfaction that people feel and the discomfort that people feel and the concern that people have is a concern about power. Um, that right now these tech companies have a lot of power. And I think that the the concern that is coming from government is like the concern for their power. You know, that it, like the right has made such a big deal about deplatforming. And I think it's because what they're trying, they're trying to... Um, they're trying to, you know, put these companies on notice. You know, that it's like, you fuck with us. You know, like, we will take power. And But they've done nothing about it. Don't you think that they've actually made a big deal about deplatforming because the right has been disproportionately deplatformed? 
Um, I think the right is like doing fine. Uh, on How so? Social media. I, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are, but I, I feel like it's like the, the fact you say that, that Trump, though because the you're on the that left. Trump was still on. Yeah, no, but that's I'm not, Trump. I'm not. That's Trump. He's it's not. He's an anomaly. You 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 can't really you know. I okay. I, I think I guess maybe let me just reframe this to say that like I think it's interesting that we are we've hit an inflection point right where like the era of utopianism with regards to technology is over. Yeah. You know, that it's just like, you know, after 2016, it was just like big tech has zero allies anymore. You know, on the left, everyone's just like, you just gave the election to Trump, you know, and on the mm. right, they're just like, you just remove somebody from YouTube for calling gay people an abomination. Fuck you. You know, like it's, they have no allies. Uh, no one believes in the better and brighter. You know, no one believes that Google is organizing the world's information. No Not one believes anymore. that Facebook no. is connecting the world, you know, like, no. And I think that that is, um, there's an opportunity there, you know, that like we're in a better situation than we were before, you know, all the cards are on the table under like people more and more understanding uh, how it is that these systems function. I think, you know, we're increasingly see that people understand that this is really about power. It's about authority and that like we should be trying to build things that limit the, the power that people have. If you had your wish, if you could let these social media platforms, whether it's uh, video platforms like YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, if you if you had the call, if they, they called you up and said, Moxie, we're going to let you make the call. What should we do? How should we curate this information? Should we have algorithms? Should we allow people? Should we just let it open to everything? Everything and anybody? What should we do? Well, I mean, this is what we're trying to do with Signal. You know, it's like... But it's different, right? Because well, you're just a messaging app. We're just a messaging app, but... No, I don't apps... say that. It's a, it's <laughs> no, a very no, good no, messaging no, app I, that I use. No, I understand what you're saying. But I think, you know, the way that messaging apps are going, you know, there's like a trajectory where... Uh, a project like Signal becomes more of a social experience. Um, and that, like, the things that we're building extend beyond just, like, you know, sending messages. Particularly, I think, as more and more communication moves into group chats and things like that. Um, and, the you know, the foundation that we're building it on is a foundation where we know nothing. You know, it's like, if I looked up your Signal account record right now of, like, all the information that we had about you on Signal, there's only two pieces of information, you know, the date that you created the account and the date that you last used Signal. That's it. That's all we know. You know, if you looked on any other platform, it would be, your mind would be blown. No, it's yeah. admirable what yeah. you're doing. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. But that, and so I think that foundation gives us, um, it's like now that we have that foundation, there's a lot that we can build on it, right? And Would because, you do a social media app? Well, I think, you know, some of the stuff that we're working on now of just like moving away from phone numbers, that you can have like, you know, a username so that you can like post that more publicly. And then, you know, we have groups and now you have group links and then, you know, maybe we can do something with events and we can, you know, that's like, we're sort of moving in the direction of like an app that's good for um, communicating with connections you already have to an app that's also good for creating new connections. Would you think that social media would be better served with the algorithms that are in place and with the mechanisms for determining what's trending in place and for their trust and safety or whatever their their content monitoring yeah. policy they have now or have it wide open wild west <laughs> i mean i think um it depends on when you say like better you know better for what right better for humanity uh yeah no i i think uh, censorship yeah. is better no, no, no. I, I think the problem, I think 
bad business models create bad technology, which has bad outcomes. You know, that that's the problem we have today, right? So the like, problem is that there's a financial incentive for them to... Yeah, that, that if, if, if we... You know, if you look at like the the metrics, you know, that we talked about, like you know, what Facebook cares about is just like time that you spent looking at the screen on Facebook. Right. You know, like if if we were to have metrics, if Signal were to have metrics, you know, our metrics would be like what we want is for you to use the app as little as possible, for you to actually have the app open as little as possible, but for the velocity of information to be as high as possible. So it's like you're getting maximum utility. You're spending as little time possible looking at this thing while getting as much out of it as you How can. How could that be engineered? Do you think? That's what we're trying to do. You so know? you're trying to do that with a social media app as well? Well, I mean, you know, we're sort of moving in that direction, right? And it's like, um, and I think once you start from the principle of like, well, we don't have to have infinite growth. We don't actually have to uh, have profit. We don't have to return. Uh, we're not accountable to investors. We don't have to, you know, uh, satisfy public markets. Uh, we also don't have to build a pyramid scheme where we have like, you know, 2 billion users so that we can monetize them to like, you know, a few hundred thousand advertisers so that we can, you know, right. like we don't have to do any of that. Uh, and so we have the the freedom to like pick the metrics that we think are the ways that we think technology should work, that should that we think will better serve all of us. So what would better be served is a bunch of wild hippies like yourself that don't want to make any money at all. I mean, we're, you, you put together you a social at, media. If you work at Signal, you get paid. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm sure. Like but just, I mean, I don't mean... Uh, yeah. The company itself, yeah. as a uh, as a corporation, you get paid, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, and I how do you generate the income? Well, you know, we do it by like tying ourselves to a community of users instead of advertisers, right? You know, so, so it's like, by where's the money coming from, though? From people who use Signal. So, so uh, similar, similar to like, uh, do they pay for it? No, no, it's like donation based. So similar to like Wikimedia. Oh, okay. you know, it's like you know, okay. Wikipedia exists. There's no company. There's no. Well, that would be great. If they could figure out a way to develop some sort of a social media platform that uh, just operated on donations and could rival the ones that are operating on advertising revenue, because I agree with you that 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 creates a giant problem. And that's what we're working on slowly. Huh? Do you think that what? So you you just look at it in terms of bad business model equals bad outcome. That that's yeah. how you look at all these, and you don't. And so, it's also, by the way, why we have people mining cobalt in yes, Congo. You know? Yeah. And you don't think that they can regulate their way out of this situation? With technology, I'm I'm not super optimistic, yeah. Just based on, you know, and even, even the hearings, you know, just like So do you hour. think that, yes, the hearings were amateur hour. Yeah. When, the, yeah, there were some ridiculous questions. Yeah. I mean, it's just like. They're yeah. talking to the wrong people. They don't mm -hmm. understand how stuff they don't works. Know. You know, that's like, not Google. You've been that's prepped Apple. for this. Like, yeah. you know, don't you have a team of people who? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's um. It's fascinating to watch, right? It's like your your dad who doesn't know how to. How do I get the email? <laughs> <laughs> it's like these people are not going to save us, man. You know, and it's like no. anything that they do will probably just make things worse. Do you think that it's a valid argument that conservatives have though that they're they're being censored and that their their voice is not being heard? I, I know what you said in terms of, you know, that if someone had something on YouTube that said that gay people are unhuman and they should be abolished and banned and, and delete that video, that the, I, I get that perspective. But I think there's other perspectives like the Unity 2020 perspective, which is not in any way Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what happened with that, but I feel like what I... I think it could be a part of this thing of just like, well, we create this policy and we have these, 
you know, we define things this way and then mm -hmm. a lot of stuff just gets caught up in it, you know, where yeah. it's just like now you're like taking down content about the Uyghurs because you wanted to do something else, you know, that if people right. would just be more honest about like there is not really an objectivity and, you know, we're looking for these specific outcomes and this is why that I think, you know, maybe we would have better results. But. Well, how does one fix this though? How does one, like you worked at Twitter, you kind of understand these better than most, these uh, social media platforms. How would one fix this if you, if they hired you? If they said, hey, uh, Moxie, we're kind of fucked. We don't know to, how to fix this. Well, uh, is there a way? Because it seems like they make so much money. Yeah. If you came along and said, yeah, well, you got to stop making money. They'd be like, get rid of that exactly, fucking exactly, nut. Exactly. Look at him. Yeah. Goddamn sailor. Yeah. What's he talking about? What is he talking about? Fuck out of here. Stop making money. Yeah. What, you want to play rock, paper, scissors? go, <laughs> 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 you're crazy, man. How well, do you fix this? I mean, one thing I'm actually a little encouraged by is like um, the organizing unionization stuff that's been happening in the tech industry. Uh, so there's been um, a couple of walkouts um, and there's some increased communication among tech, tech workers. Uh, normally you think about... Uh, I'm not totally aware of this. Like what have they been organizing and uh, unionization about? Well, normally you think about um, unionization as, as like a process for improving material conditions for workers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and there's some aspect of this uh, in the organizing that's been happening. Where, uh, are they, where have they been doing this? Uh, Google is the big, um, where a lot of the activity has happened, but it's happening across the industry. Uh, and What are their objectives at Google? At, at Google, uh, there were some walkouts. Um, the objectives... You should talk to Meredith Whitaker about this, actually. Um, she's really smart and okay. uh, has a lot to say. Uh, Shout out to Meredith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she uh, and other people, you know, were working there. And um, they were organizing for, like, one, uh, trying to apply the protections that full-time workers and benefits of full-time workers there had to a lot of the temporary workers, like the people who work in security, the people who are working in the cafeteria, the people who are working, you know, driving buses and stuff like that, uh, who are living a lot more precariously uh but also um for creative control over how the technology that they're producing is used uh, so google was involved in some like military contracts that were pretty um sketch yeah yeah like applying machine learning ai stuff to military technology and then uh finally uh there had been a lot of um high profile sexual harassment uh incidents at google where the the perpetrators of sexual harassment were um, usually paid large severances uh, in, in order to leave. Uh, and so they, they had a, a list of demands uh, and they, uh, like a lot of people walked out. I don't know what the numbers were, but a lot of people, they managed to organize internally and, and, and walked out. And I think, I think stuff like that is encouraging because, um, you know, it's like we look at the hearings and it's like the, pe the people in Congress don't even know who's the right person to talk to you know it's like you know old people talking about technology they don't understand the people who really do understand technology are the people who are working in these companies and a lot of times they don't feel good about the way that that what they're creating is being applied or how they're how what they're creating is being applied and um but isn't that another issue where you're going to have people who have an ideological perspective and that may be opposed to people that have a different ideological perspective but they're sort of disproportionately represented on the left in these social media corporations. When you get kids that come out of school and they have degrees 
in tech or they're interested in tech, they tend to almost universally lean left. Maybe, but I think most, like when it comes to the technology, I don't think people are, um, I think, you know, what almost everyone can agree is like the amount of money and resources that we're putting into surveillance, into ad tech, into, you know, these algorithms that are just about increasing engagement, that they're just not good for the world. And Agreed. if you put a different CEO in charge, that person's just going to get fired, you know? Right. But if a, if the entire company organizes together and says, no, this is what we want. This is how we, this is how we want to allocate resources. This is how we want to create the world. Then you can't fire all those people. It's, I understand what you're saying. So they'd to have do. to get together yeah. and unionize and, and have like a very distinct mandate, like very clear that this is what we, we want to use this. We want to go back to do no evil or whatever the fuck it used to be. Right. right. Yeah. Where they don't really have that as a big sign anymore. <laughs> Um, do you think that would really have an impact though? I mean, there's, it seems like the amount of money, when you find out the amount of money that's being generated by yeah. Google and Facebook and, uh, and YouTube and all, it's the, the numbers are so staggering that to shut that valve off, to like, to shut that spout, good luck. It's almost like it had to have been engineered from the beginning, like what you're doing at Signal. Like someone had to look at it from the beginning and go, you know what? If we rely on advertiser revenue, we're going to have a real problem. Yeah. And I think, but I think it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I think you're right. And there's, there's, um, you know, part of the problem with just relying on tech workers to, to organize themselves is that they are shareholders of these companies. You know, right. they have a financial stake in their, their outcome. And so um, that influences the way that they think about things. But, um, you know, I think another aspect to all of this is that I think people underestimate just how expensive it is to make software. And another thing that I think would really uh, improve things is making software cheaper. You know, right now it's it's moving in the opposite direction. It's getting harder, more expensive to produce software. Um, and how so? It used to be that if you made, if you like wrote a piece of software, you just wrote it once. You know, for the computer. And then that was your software. You know, now if you want to write a piece of software, you have to write it at least three times. You, know, you have to write it for iPhone. You have to write it for Android. You have to write it for the web. Maybe you need a desktop client. Uh, so it's like you need three or four times the the, the energy that you used to have. Um, and the way that um, software works, not worth going into. But it's just it's getting more expensive. And, and it's what do you what do you personally use? Are you one of those minimalist dudes? Got you know, I, I notice you have like a little tiny notebook here. Oh yeah, yeah. And then well, you have two phones. Yeah, I, I'm like I have to have. I'm, I try to be like, I just want to. You're also one of those renegades with no phone case. Oh yeah, man. I feel like that's like. You and Jamie should get together and talk about it. He's radical. I mean, it's like people. You know, it's like <laughs> industrial designers put all of that effort into yeah, creating that thing, and then just wrap a weird glass thing and it costs it, a thousand yeah. bucks. <laughs> if you drop it with this thing on it, it doesn't get hurt. And see this, this little thing right here. See, I stick my finger oh, in there, yeah, and then I can use yeah. it. I could text better. Really good. Yeah. And um, then also, if I want to watch a video, that like a, that'll prop it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ta-da! You know how that works. Isn't that better? Yeah. Isn't that better than no case? I mean, some things I actually want to make more <laughs> difficult for myself, you know. Um, but I have two phones just because I'm trying to. I always just want to keep tabs on how everything works everywhere, you know. I, so you have an Android and a uh, an iPhone. Do you keep things stripped down? No, I'm pretty. I mean, I don't actually use 
TikTok? Well, okay. My problem is that like I spend all day. I think you know sometimes I, I go through this thing where like um, cryptography will be like in the news or something. There'll be some like geopolitical thing that's happening, and someone like you know Vice or something will get in touch with me, and they'll be like, they'll be like, hey, we want to do a thing like a video where like we follow you around for a day, like a day in the life. You know, it's because it's so exciting. Sounds like, good for them. Whatever, you know? Annoying for you. Well, the thing I'll usually write back is like, um, okay, uh, here's the video, me sitting in front of a computer for eight hours. And they're like, oh, we can't make that video. Like, no one would want to watch that, you know? Yeah, what we need to do is take you to a yoga class, then you go to an organic food <laughs> store, and you talk to people about their rights, and then... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's but it's like, Unfortunately, I don't even want to watch the movie of my own life, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they're... Um, but so that is my life. So it's like, um, I spend so much time, like, you know, looking at a computer for work that I, it's hard for me to continue like looking at screens and stuff. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. But I try to be like a normal, like, um, there's just like in the history of people who are like doing, like building cryptography, stuff like that. Um, there was this period of time where the thesis was basically like, all right, what we're going to do is develop really powerful tools for ourselves. And then we're going to teach everyone to be like us, you know, mm. and that didn't work uh, because, uh, you know, we didn't really anticipate the way that computers were going. So I try to be like as normal as possible. You know, I just like have like a normal setup. I'm not like, you know, I haven't, you know, I used to have a cell phone where I'd like, you know, soldered the microphone differently. So there was like a hard switch that you could turn it off. Whatever. Like, really? You did that? that? Yeah. Because it's like, you know, whatever you start thinking about, like how all this stuff works. Do you ever fuck around with like Linux phones or anything like that? No, no. I'm just, I try to be like normal, you know? Okay. Yeah. I still do run Linux on a desktop just because I've been doing that forever. But. And you keep a moleskin for what? Just notes. and. You don't put them on your phone? Sometimes I do, but so I, I like writing more, I guess. Oh, okay. So yeah. you just do it just because you enjoy it? Yeah, but I guess, you know, you're right. Maybe, you know, like I feel the forces of darkness are not going to compromise it. Yeah. Um, does it, do you feel like you have extra scrutiny on you because of the fact that you're involved in this uh, messaging application that Glenn Greenwald and Edward Snowden and a bunch of other people that are seriously concerned with security and privacy that maybe people are upset at you that you've uh, created something that allows people to uh, share encrypted messages? I mean, maybe. I mean, I think... Because uh, you've so kind of cut out the middleman, right? You've cut out, you've cut out the, the, yeah. the third-party door. Yeah. And I think... But so in some ways, that means that there's less pressure on me because, you know, it's like if you're the creator of Facebook Messenger and your computer gets hacked, like, that's everyone's Facebook messages are, yeah. you know, gone. Um, and, you know, for me, if, like, my computer gets hacked... You know, I can't access anyone's signal messages, whether I get hacked or not, you know? Right. Uh, and so it's, I have sort of less liability in that sense. There was like a weird period of time where um, it was very difficult for me to fly commercially, like on a airplane. Um, and I don't know why. Uh, I think it had something to do with uh, a talk that someone gave about WikiLeaks once and they mentioned my name. And uh, after you were that- getting flagged? Yeah, it was very annoying. I would like go to the airport and I, would, I wouldn't be able to print a ticket at the kiosk. I had to go uh, talk to a person. They had to call some phone number that would appear on their screen and then wait on hold for like 45 minutes to an hour uh, Jesus to get Christ. approval. And then they would get approval to print the ticket. So you had to anticipate this when you travel? Yeah. 
So you had to mm-hmm. go there way in advance. Way in advance. And then anytime I traveled internationally, on the way back through customs, they would seize all of the electronics that I had. And Jeez. Them. Yeah. The U.S. government would do this? Yeah, Customs and Border Protection. They would seize your shit, and would you get it back? They would eventually send it back, but it's you just had to throw it out because it's not... Who knows what they did to it, you know? How, I would want to give it to someone and go, hey, tell me what they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Could you do that? Is it possible yeah. to back-engineer what, whatever... I never... I never spent time on it. How much time did they have your shit for? Uh, it would be like weeks. Weeks? Yeah. yeah. Weeks? Did you have to give them passwords and everything? Well, that's the thing. You know, they would stop you and they would be like, hey, we just need you to type in your password here so that we can get through the full disk encryption, you know? And I would be like, no. And they would be like, well, if you don't do that, we're going to take this and we're going to send it to our lab, you know, and they're going to get it anyway. And I would be like, no, they're not. And they would be like, all right, well, we're going to take it. You're not going to have your stuff for a while. You sure you don't want to type in your password? I'd be like, nope. And then, you know, it would disappear and it'd come back weeks later. And then it's like... How bizarre. Yeah. And with... There was no... I mean, they didn't have, like, a motive. There was no... That's the thing. You never know why. You know why. No, but I'm saying they didn't They didn't say, hey, you were... You're thought to have done this or there's some... No, it, they would always just be like, oh, no, this is just random or whatever. But there would be random. two people at the exit of the plane with photographs of me. You know, waiting for me to step off the plane, and then they would escort. They wouldn't even wait for me to get to the. Uh, so did you have photo. to have like a burner laptop? I just wouldn't travel with electronics, you know, because it was just even your phone. Yeah, even my phone. Oh fuck! Yeah, yeah. Wow. If that was only internationally though, because they they can't do that domestically. But, uh, but so yeah. domestically, you just had long waits, and then they'd eventually give you a ticket. Yeah, they would eventually give you a ticket, and then you have to you get the selective screening where they would take all the stuff out of your bag and like you know yeah, feel through and, your car. And touch then your at, dick too, and right? Then at every connection, the TSA would come to the gate of the connecting thing, even though you're already behind security, and do it again at the connection. Was, really? Yeah, I don't know. It, it was weird. It was just like a connections too. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to fuck with you. I think so. Yeah, I don't know what that. And how long about. did that last for? That was a couple years. <laughs> yeah. And when did it go away? The day it went away, were you like, oh? Yep. Yeah, one day it just stopped. Oh. It, was, it's really, it really did change the game. What year did it go away? When Trump got into office? No, it was way before that. <laughs> yeah, I forget. Uh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, I was thinking, actually, on, I was thinking on the way here, it's funny how, like, I remember after the last election, everyone was talking about, like, California leaving the United States, like mm-hmm. California seceding. You remember that? Yeah, Cal-X hilarious. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. And now everyone's talking about leaving California. Like after this election. Yeah. Well, yeah. Imagine that. President Newsom. Yeah. Locked down in a communist state. But do you remember people discovered that the Cal Exit, the whole Cal Exit movement was started by a guy that lived in Russia? Oh, it was one of those uh, IRA things, Internet Research Agency scams. But it wasn't. I actually tracked wasn't? the guy down oh, in, yeah? uh, in Moscow one time. Uh, you tracked him down? He was just some guy. Well, cause Did he, he do it for goof? No. He like really believes. Uh, that California should leave? Yeah, he he like li- he he lived in California, and had been for years like trying to foment this Calexit thing, and he saw all the stats on like, mm-hmm. you know, why it would be better for California and all the stuff, you know. Uh, and then he sort of thought, well, this isn't working, and he really liked Russia for some reason, and he and he so he moved to Russia just before the election, not knowing what was going to happen. And then when Trump won, people were like, wait a second, fuck this, like maybe California should get out of here, and they just found this, like campaign that already existed and everyone sort of got behind it and he was just like oh shit and he lives in russia now you know and and but he like didn't really understand um optics i think where he like he like 
the re the way that people ever, everyone found out that uh he lived in russia was that he opened a california embassy in moscow so he, they like announced like you know calixit has opened the first california embassy like in a foreign country but it was in moscow and this was right as all the like russian oh, like Jesus. stuff was happening you know uh, yeah so if you're conspiratorially minded you'd have drawn some incorrect conclusions yeah, yeah, he was just, I think, I, I met with him, I like hung out with him for a day. I think he really genuinely just... So what was your motivation to hang out with this guy for a whole day? I mean, I was just fascinated, you know, because <laughs> here's this guy who's like doing this kind of ambitious thing, and it just, the optics seems so bad, you know? Yeah. But I think he, he reminded me of like that Hannah Arendt quote that's like, um, you know, if the essence of power is deceit, does that mean that the essence of impotence is truth? You know, that like, he's sort of believed that um just like the facts were enough you know it's just like the stats of just like yeah we spend this much money on like defense spending if we like you know if we stopped you know it's like we would have like you know so much money yeah if california yeah. was a country and we would still have like the fourth largest military in the world and we you know we would have like uh you know it's just like the numbers actually are compelling you know and it was just sort of like that's you know people will just see the truth you know and i was like dude i think maybe you should like not live in russia anymore you know but, uh <laughs> it was yeah why did he go to russia i don't he just he had been teaching english and uh i think he just sort of ended up liking russia um and so yeah he just decided to move there and didn't, that was i was on the way um with a friend to abkhazia have you ever heard of that place no it's an autonomous region of the country of georgia uh and uh it's kind of interesting. There's all these autonomous regions in the world uh, that are essentially their own countries, you know, um, but they're not recognized by the UN or other countries, you know. But like Texas. You're in one right now. Uh, I mean, these <laughs> places are like, you know, militarized border, like they have their own, right. you know, like, you know. Uh, but and, they're not recognized by the UN. Yeah. Uh, and so they all recognize each other. And oh. it's like, you know, it's like if you want to be a country, like, it's kind of interesting. You need a lot of stuff, you know, you need like a flag. You need like a national bird. Mm -hmm. You need like a, an anthem, yeah. or whatever. And you need a soccer team. You oh. definitely have to have a soccer team. You know, uh, so interesting. These, so these countries all have their own soccer teams, but they can't play in FIFA because they're not recognized by the UN. So FIFA can't recognize them. So they have their own league. It's like the League of Unrecognized States and Stateless Peoples. Uh, and they have their own World Cup. And they have the World really? Cup in Abkhazia. How many different countries are there that are like this? There are a lot. Uh, How many? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many how many teams are in this league called Kanifa. Um, I mean, it's twenty plus. So there's twenty plus unrecognized countries, or autonomous regions, and also stateless peoples. So like um, the Kurds, you know, uh, there's a you know people from Chagos Islands were basically evicted for a U.S. military base, and they're a diaspora. There's um, you know places like Somaliland, Transnistria, um, South Ossetia, uh, Laplandia. You know, like um, it's. That's kind of interesting. So I, I went with a friend to Abkhazia for the, the World Cup of all the unrecognized states. How was that? It was awesome. Yeah? Uh, it was like, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean... The smile on your face. <laughs> this is the biggest smile you've had the entire show. It sounds like it was a great time. I mean, it just is so fascinating to me. And I think it's like an interesting, you know, it's like in a way that I feel like, you know, society moves by like pushing at the edges, you know, that like... It's, it's the fringes that end up moving the center. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, you know, looking at the margins of the way politics works is an interesting view of, like, how everything else works. You know, that, mm. like, like, going to Abkhazia, it was so 
crazy getting there. You know, it's like, you know, we travel all through Russia. We get to this, like, militarized border. You go through these ch three checkpoints that aren't supposed to exist, but obviously exist. You know, you get to the other side, and it's just the same as where you just were. You know, <laughs> you know, you're like, you guys fought a brutal civil war, you know, with, like, genocide, like, full on, you know, like, crazy shit. Uh, and it's just kind of the same. You know, like, was mm. it worth it? Like, what's the deal, you know? And I feel like it's this thing you see again and again of, like, um, like the institutions that we're familiar with of in the world that exists are, like, the institutions of kings, you know? It's, like, you know, police, military, illegal apparatus, tax collectors, you know? And that, like, every moment in history since then has been about trying to, like, change ownership of those institutions. Hmm. And it's always sort of dissatisfying, you know? And, like, you know, just seeing that happen again and again. And, and just, like, you know, realizing that it's, like, maybe what we should be doing is actually trying to get rid of these institutions or change these institutions in some way. You know? Don't you think there's a very slow rate of progress, but ultimately progress? Like, if you follow Pinker's work, it looks at all the various metrics, like murder, rape, racism, crime, all these different things. It's over time, there's, we're clearly moving in a better direction. Maybe I mean, and do you think it's just like you know? I was listening to this uh, um, podcast today. We were talking about uh, religion, and it was discussing um, the Bible, and they were talking about all the different um, stories that are in the Bible. That many of them that are that are hundreds of years apart that are that were collected and put into that. Just stop and think about a book that was written literally before the constitution was drafted and that book is being introduced today as gospel and that there's a new book that's going to be written 200 years from now and that will be attached to the new version of the bible as well and then one day someone will come across this and it will all be interpreted as the the will and the words of god that all came about in, in one particular era, it like all came down from God. But now we know that these things have like there's, there's you, you're dealing with giant yeah. spans of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But today, the these spans of time are far slower. Like going from Alan Turing in 1950 being chemically castrated for being gay to in my lifetime, seeing gay marriage as being something that was very fringe when I was a boy living in San Francisco to universal across the United States today, at least mostly accepted by the populace, right? That this is a, a very short amount of time where a big change has happened and that this these changes are coming quicker and quicker and quicker. I would hope that this is a trend that is moving in the correct direction. Yeah, I'm, certainly there are some things that are getting better, yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like to me, it's important to, you know, for a lot of those things, like the things you mentioned, like gay marriage, I think it's important to realize that, like, a lot of those, a lot of that progress would not have happened without the ability to break the law, honestly. You know, right, that, like, right. That, like, how would how would anyone have known it, right. that, like, we wanted to have, allow same-sex marriage if no one had been able to have a same-sex relationship because Saudi laws had been per perfectly enforced, you know? Yeah. How would we know that we want to legalize marijuana if, like, no one had ever been able to consume marijuana? Yeah. Right. Uh, and right, yeah. So I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the fear around, like, increased surveillance, surveillance state or whatever is that, like, these, that those, those, that space dissipates. Yes, um, yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, it's like we're living in the apocalypse, you know, that it's like if you took someone from 200 years ago who used 
to be able to just walk up to the Klamath River and dump a bucket in the water and pull out, you know, 12 salmon. And that was, you know, their food. And you were like, oh, yeah, the way it works today is you go to Whole Foods and it's $20 a pound and it's, you know, pretty good. You know, they'd be like, what have you done? Oh, right. my God. You used to be able to walk across the backs of the salmon, yeah. you know, across the whole river. Well, we're trying to avoid slipping even further into that apocalypse. I don't know if you've uh, followed what's going on in the Bristol Bay of Alaska with the Pebble Mine. No. Oh, it's crazy. They're trying to, they're trying, and, well, you know, according to what Joe Biden said when he was running for office, that the, when he's in office, that will not happen. But um, they're trying to do essentially the biggest mine in the world oh, that yeah. would destroy the salmon population it would destroy it it would yeah. it would literally wipe out a, a gigantic not just a gigantic industry but a gigantic chunk of the salmon i think it's i forget which kind of salmon it is um i don't want to say it's chinook I, I forget what kind of salmon it is but it's the biggest population yeah. sockeye thank you the biggest uh, population of them in uh, certainly in america but I think in the world, I think it's responsible for an enormous number of jobs and an enormous. Sure, yeah. And apparently, there's fucking billions of dollars worth of gold and copper down there. Yeah. Earthworks. What's at stake? An average of forty to fifty million wild salmon make the epic migration from the ocean to the headwaters of the Bristol Bay every year, like no place on earth. The Bristol Bay watershed. They've been working to try to make this mine a reality for, I think, a couple of decades now. And uh, people have been fighting tirelessly to educate people on what a, a devastating impact this is going to have on the ecology of that area and the fact that the environment will be permanently devastated. There's no way of bringing this back and that there's no way of doing this without destroying the environment because the, the specific style of mining that they have to employ in order to pull that copper and gold out of the ground involves going deep, deep into the earth to find these reservoirs of gold and copper and there's sulfur yeah, they have yeah, to yeah. go through and then they have to remove the waste. Yeah. And mining companies have invested hundreds of millions of dollars in this and then ban abandoned it. Yeah. So they were like, we can't, this is, we can't fucking do this. And yeah. then people are like, we can do it. And then they've got, and it's other companies that are I don't believe the company that's currently involved in is even an American company. I think it's a it's a foreign company that's trying to. I, th I think they're from Canada that are trying to do this uh, spectacular. Cat. I don't know which company it is, but it's uh, my friend Steve Ranella from uh, the Meat Eater podcast. I want to recommend this this podcast because he's got a particular episode on that um, where he he talks about it. Let me find it real quick because it's. Um, it's pretty epic where he talks to this one guy who's dedicated uh, the last 20 years of his life trying to fight this. Um, let me just find it real quick because it's, um, it's really, it's, it's pretty intense. And it's, it's terrifying when you, you see how close it's come to actually being implemented and how if it happens, there's no way you pull that back. Like once yeah, they yeah, do it. Yeah. It's like all the all that uh, Standing Rock shit, you know. Where they were like, "No, this, the the pipeline's gonna be fine. No way that it leaks into the water or whatever." You know, it's like, sure enough. Exactly. You know? Unfortunately, I'm already listened to it, so I'm having a hard time finding it in this app. It's motherfuckers. Did you find it? Here, previously played. Um, yeah, a half life of never. 
It's the October <laughs> 5th episode. That's a good title. Yeah, and the, the the gentleman's name is Tim Bristol, which is kind of crazy. Just That is his, his birth name. His name is Tim Bristol, and he's dealing with his Bristol Bay yeah. situation. I mean, it's just a, a random yeah, yeah, yeah. coincidence. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and you read all that shit about the... Episode 241. Like when they were building the... Uh, all the dams, yeah, you know, California, and it's just like the salmon just bashed dead. themselves to death. Dead, the, basically, they had well, to set them on fire. Seattle, so many of them. yeah, yes. same thing that happened up in Seattle. These yeah. knuckleheads, they didn't understand the migration. Yeah. Yeah. These salmon yeah. won't go anywhere else. They have one specific yeah. river where they were born, and that's where they will yeah. die and spawn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. But these assholes that just want copper and gold are willing to do this. And there was this one politician in particular that has, has a gigantic windfall, if he can pull this off, um, or lobbyist or whatever the fuck he is. But he, he stands to make, I think they said $14 million if he can actually get, oh, yeah. get yeah. the shovels into the ground. That's uh, how much he, uh, he earns. So what are we going to do about it? Kill that guy. <laughs> Assassination politics. Yes. Kill them all. No. I'm kidding. Don't don't uh, get me in trouble. You can get banned off of YouTube for saying something like that. I'm joking. Um, what we should do? We do. We should make people aware of it and make people aware that this is uh, that there are real consequences to uh, allowing politicians to make decisions that will literally affect human beings for the rest of eternity. Because you will never have that population of salmon coming to that particular location that have been going there for millions and millions of years. And the reason why you won't have them there is because someone is greedy. It's really that simple. I mean, you, we are getting along fine without that copper, without that gold. And we are using the, the resource of the salmon. And people are employed that are enjoying that resource. And they're also able to go there and see the the bears eating the salmon and seeing this incredible wild place. Alaska is one of the few really truly wild spots in this country. Yeah. And someone might fuck that up. And if you get the, enough greedy assholes together and they can figure out a way to make this a reality and with the wrong people in positions of power, that's a hundred percent possible. Yeah. Yeah, you might even say we've organized the entire world economy to fuck that up. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. But I, you know, I think that it's like the the question of agency of like, you know, what is how do we affect these processes is like yeah. tough. You know? Well, just I mean, I was joking obviously about killing that person, but there was a recent um, um, one of the Iranian scientists was yeah, assassinated, murdered, yeah. and this brought up this gigantic ethical debate. And, and we don't know who did it, whether it was a uh, Israeli uh, army. Mossad held a yeah. press conference to say we didn't do it while wearing T-shirts that said we definitely did it. <laughs> Assassinated Iranian nuclear scientist shot with remote-controlled machine gun. Oh, Holy yeah. fuck. Yeah, Holy mid, fuck. Yeah. Daylight, which is what I was hearing about. Oh, that. my God. Dude, we're, we're killing people with robots now, right? That was the other, that, um, the, the other uh, Iranian guy that got killed. Uh, Soleimani, who was also killed with a drone. I mean, essentially... Uh, yeah. This is out of a, another car, but whatever. Hmm. Oh, so a car was driving by and there was a remote-controlled mm -hmm. machine gun? Mm -hmm. Fuck. It says it was a, he was in a bulletproof car, too. Wow, I don't know. Oh. He was in a bulletproof... Like, they knew they were going to kill this yeah, guy. Yeah, they do, man. Damn. So, this is the question. Oh, he got out of the car. Oh. Well, there you go. You fucked up. Just stay in that bulletproof car. If you uh, if you know that a man is going to 
like, what if someone did that to Oppenheimer? You know, what if someone said, hey, uh, we see where this is going and uh, we need to find that Oppenheimer gentleman and we need to prevent Big Boy from uh, you know, dropping down and, and killing how many people? Like, yeah, half a million people. What? He got shot by that remote. It was 164 yards away. Shot him and his wow. bodyguard and then the car they were in exploded. <sighs> lasted for three minutes like the whole thing was three minutes wow so there's this ethical dilemma like if someone is actively trying to acquire nuclear weapons and we think that those people are going to use those nuclear weapons is it ethical to kill that person and if that person's a scientist they're not a yeah right yeah i mean i think the causality stuff is really hard to figure out you know um but i think most of the time it's not about the the one person you know that it's not you know, maybe sometimes it is, but I think most, it's just like, I feel like assassination politics in the tech arena does not work. You know, that it's like, you can get rid of all the people at the top of these companies and that's not what's going to do it. You know, that they're like these structural reasons why these things keep happening over and over again. Yeah. I think they're trying to slow it down though. Right. Like this is the reason why, do you remember when they employed uh Suxnet? Stuxnet? Stuxnet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that was uh for the same reason, right? They were trying to uh, yeah. disarm the uh, Iranian nuclear capabilities. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the same thing where they. But that like, was kind of like crazy. we didn't do it while wearing T-shirts. They were like, we definitely did this. <laughs> <laughs> but they did that with uh, computer virus, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And people didn't have a problem with that. They're like, well, that's. Well, I think people did. Have, some people had a problem with that, obviously, but. Well, Iranians. Yeah, yeah but also just like okay. Uh. You know, you go down that road and, yeah. and you know, where things can happen too. You know, I, I th a great example is, um, so one of the things that came out uh, in a lot of the documents that Snowden released was um, that the NSA had worked with uh, a standards body called NIST in order to produce uh, a random number generator that was um, backdoored. So random numbers are very important in cryptography. And if you can predict what the random numbers are going to be, then you win. Uh, and so uh, the NSA had produced this random number generator that allowed them to predict uh, what the random numbers would be because they knew of uh, this one constant that was was in there. They knew they knew a reciprocal value that you can't derive just by looking at it, but they they know because they created it. And uh, they they had what they called uh, a nobody but us backdoor, no bus, nobody but us backdoor. Uh, and they got NIST to standardize this thing, and then they they uh, got a, a a company called uh, Jupiter, who makes routers and VPNs and stuff like that, uh, Juniper, sorry, uh, to uh, include this in their products. Uh, and so the idea was that like the NSA would have these capabilities. They had developed you know these vulnerabilities that they could exploit in situations like this. You know that they could like take advantage of uh, foreign powers and stuff like that um, in ways that wouldn't boomerang back at them. Uh, but <laughs> what happened was, uh, in I think you know twenty early early teens uh juniper got hacked and somebody secretly changed that one parameter uh that was like basically the back door to a different one that they knew knew the the reciprocal value to uh and it's most likely china or russia that did this uh, and uh then what's kind of interesting is there's a, a big uh, incident where the uh, opm the office of personnel management i think was compromised and they have records on you know, foreign intelligence assets and stuff like that. Um, that uh, their systems were compromised. 
it seems like maybe by China. And what's sort of interesting is that they were running the Juniper uh, networking gear that had been, uh, you know, hacked in this one specific way. And so it's kind of possible that, like, you know, the NSA developed this backdoor that they were going to use for situations like this, you know, against foreign adversaries or whatever, and that the whole thing just boomeranged back at them and uh, the office of uh, OPM was compromised as, as, as a result. Wow. But the, and this is like, um, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's, it's easy to look at things like Suxnet and stuff like that and just be like, yeah, this is harm reduction or whatever, you know, but um, like in the end, it can have real world consequences. And, and this is also why people are so hesitant about, you know, like the government is always like, well, why don't you develop a form of cryptography where it like works except for us, you know, we can access the, <laughs> the, the, the content, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, this is why, because uh, if you can, if you can access it, if anybody can access it, like somehow that's going to boomerang back at you. Well, I remember when there was uh, a terrorist attack in Bakersfield, California. Uh, is that where it was? I think it was Bakersfield. Yeah. Where? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, San Bernardino. San Bernardino. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And there was uh, an iPhone involved and Apple wouldn't open it for them. Yeah. It wouldn't allow the FBI to have access to it. And people were furious. And they were like, if this this starts here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. this does not end well. Yeah. And I kind of saw their point, but I kind of saw the FBI's point too. Like, if you just open this one, this guy's clearly a murderer, has killed a ton of people and created this terrorist uh, yeah. incident. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was a little disingenuous too, right? Where it's like the, F, like, the FBI had their entire iCloud backup for this device like the only thing they didn't have was like the previous two hours or something like that mm. and the reason they didn't have it is because they fucked up and like uh approached it in the wrong way and got themselves locked out of it oh uh, really and so it's like they had it was their own mistake that led to the situation where they didn't have the icloud backup so then it's like what are you really going to get off this phone you know it's like the the actual possibility of what was there was like extremely marginal so do you think what they really want is the tools to be able to get into they other wanted people's the phones you know oh, where they, they've just been waiting you know for like yes. the, the moment of like okay here yeah. we go we got terrorists mm. we got you know like mm, yeah that makes sense um what did you think like when the state department or whoever it was banned huawei phones yeah did you uh, think there was i mean yeah it's mostly political right like it's uh it's complicated, right? Because there's like, you know, companies like Huawei and, um, you know, uh, what the Tencent, One plus. you know, uh, the people who make TikTok. Uh, oh, okay. Tencent, yeah. You know, like they're, yeah, they're doing like all the sketchy shit. Um, but it's the same sketchy shit that like all of Silicon Valley is doing, you know, like it's not. Um, is it really? Are there, is that a valid comparison to what they're doing in Silicon Valley? Like Huawei did have routers that had third-party access, apparently, and they were shown that information was going to a third party that was not supposed to be, right? Wasn't that part of the issue? I, I Am think, I reading this wrong? Uh, well, I, I, okay, I think there's, like, a couple... Um, there there have been incidents where it's, like, yeah, there's, like, data collection that's happening. Yeah. Well, there's data collection happening, like, in all Western products, too, you know? Uh, like, I mean, and actually, the the way the Western products design are designed are really scary. I mean, uh, in the telecommunications space, um, there's uh, a legal requirement called CALEA, Communications and Law Enforcement Act, or something like that, that requires telecommunications equipment to have, um, to have eavesdropping, like surveillance stuff built into it. Like when you produce the hardware in order to sell it in the United States, you have to like have, which hardware is like phone switches and stuff. You okay. know? It's like when you make a normal phone call, it has to have. Uh, 
forget what they call it, like uh, the ability to tap. Yeah, they they call it something else, but it has to have you know this ability to um, uh, record conversations, intercept uh, lawful intercept. That's what what is this? How does a signal call work? So signal calls work uh, not using the traditional telecommunications infrastructure. It uh, is routing data over the internet, uh, and that data is end-to-end encrypted, so nobody can eavesdrop on those calls, oh. including us. Uh, and but so communication equipment that is produced in the United States has to have uh, this uh, lawful intercept, so-called lawful intercept uh, capability. But what's crazy about that is that's the same. You know, it's like these are U.S. companies and they're selling that all around the world. So that's the shit that gets shipped to UAE and it's yeah. the shit, you know. So it's like it's the secondary effect thing of like the United States government was like, well, we're we're going to be responsible with this or whatever. We're going to have warrants or whatever. And even that's not true. And then that same equipment gets shipped to tyrants and. You know, repressive regimes all over the place and they just got a ready-made thing to, to you know just avail everyone's phone calls uh so it's like i don't know uh it's it's hard to indict huawei for acting substantially different than the way than you know whatever the the u.s industry acts it's just certainly they have a different political environment and you know um they are much more willing to use that information uh to do really brutal stuff well, it wasn't just that they banned Huawei devices, but they also banned them from using Google. That's when I thought, like, wow, this is really, like, what do they know? Or what has been... Oh, Google. Is, yeah. Is it didn't allow, yeah. Well, yeah. Google has... Um, no. So, you know, Android, you're, you're talking about, like, so-called so Android they have They can't use the Android operating system anymore. They have to now, they've developed yeah. their own operating system, and now they have their own ecosystem. They have yeah. their own app yeah. store, the whole deal. Yeah, but that's that's also, um, that's a business thing, you know, where it's like Google's control over, you know, Google is producing this software, Android, and they're it's just free, you know, they're um, releasing it. But they want to maintain some control over the ecosystem because it's their thing that they're producing. Uh, and so they have a lot of requirements about it's like oh you know it's like okay you can run android oh you want all this other stuff that we make that's not part of just like the stock free thing you know like play services and you know all the google stuff and increasingly more and more of android is just getting shoved into this proprietary bit you know and they're like okay you want access to this then it's going to cost you in these ways you know and i think it probably got to the point where huawei was just like um we're not willing to pay you know even either monetarily or through whatever compromise they would have to make. And they were just like, we're going to do our own thing. I thought it was because of the state department's. Oh, oh it, could, it, it could have also been that there was a, a legal requirement that they stopped doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might be Jamie will find out. I think, I think I might be right, but I'm not sure though, but it, it just made me think like, I, I understand that there's a sort of a connection that can't be broken between business and government in China. And that business and government are united. It's not like, sure. you know, like Apple Comics. and the FBI, right? Yeah. Where the, yeah. in China they would just give them. Oh the yeah, phone. of course, yeah. yeah. They developed them. Yeah, they would help. <laughs> you know, yeah, so they yeah. would. They would yeah. have the tools to already get yeah. into it. They wouldn't have to yeah. have no, this conversation. Like yeah, exactly. They just yeah. send it to the directly to the people. What we're asking. terrified of is that these relationships that business and government have in this country they're getting tighter and tighter intertwined. And we look at a country like China that does have this sort of inexorable connection between business and government, and we're terrified that we're going to be like that someday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it just it? It is what it is? Yeah. I mean, I and that's, I think, you know, a lot of what 
Snowden was revealing. Yeah, it was like you know that there are already these relationships. You know, um, you know the NSA called it Prism, and uh, you know tech companies just called it like the consoles or whatever that they had built for these you know uh, for these requests. But it's um, that's yeah, it's happening, and I, I don't. I, also, you know, it's it's sort of like. I think a lot of people, a lot of nations look at China and are envious, right? Where it's like, mm. they've done this thing where they just, um, you know, they built like the Great Firewall of China. And that has served them in a lot of ways. You know, one, surveillance, obviously, like they have total control of everything that appears on the internet. Uh, so not just surveillance, but also content moderation, uh, propaganda. But then also, uh, like, it allows them to have their own internet economy. You know, where like China is large enough that um, they can have their own ecosystem where like, you know, Google, people don't use Google there. You know, people don't use uh, they, they have their own chat apps. They have their own search engines. They have their own social networks. They have their own everything. And I think a lot of nations like look at China and they're just like, huh, that was kind of smart. You mm. know, it's like you have your own ecosystem, your own infrastructure that you control and you have like the ability to do content moderation and you have the ability to do surveillance. And so I think the fear is that there's going to be like a, a balkanization of the internet where, you know, Russia will be next. And then yeah. know, every country that has an economy large enough uh, will go down the same road. Was it, Jamie? Uh, there was a, it seems like uh, there's a couple things that happened that are, are what you're saying, but directly seems to be sweeping crackdown on facial recognition tech house and senate democrats on tuesday rolled out a legislation to halt federal use of facial recognition software and require state and local authorities to pause any use of the technology to receive federal funding the facial recognition and biometric technology moratorium act introduced thursday marks one of the most ambitious crackdowns on face this has to do with that it said it was part of this boycott that had to do with google's like uh oh. antitrust suit that also had to do with facebook and they were looking into it this was from like a month ago mm. i mean i think this is this is connected to what you're saying just in the sense that like um you know the people who are producing that facial recognition te technology it's not the government it's you know yeah. volunteer whoever sells right. services to the government and then you know the government is then deploying this technology that they're getting from industry and in kind of crazy ways like there's the story of the black lives matter protester uh who was they like the police that like nypd you know not like the fbi or you know nypd like tracked him to his house using facial recognition technology um and so yeah it's the, how did they do that uh there's a story about it in like, yeah. the or something <laughs> there's like that. I've been finding stories. I, I, no one knows what these things are. There's things supposedly all over New York City and Manhattan that are tracking everybody's face as soon as they go in there. And people, I've watched news videos from local New York, local media asking people, have you seen these? What are they? They get no answers. Well, here's what's hilarious. Crime has never been higher. <laughs> New York City crime right now is insane. That shit's not doing anything. Yeah. Well, everyone's I, wearing but, a mask too. That's also part <laughs> of the problem. But I think, you know, the fear is that like, so there's this like, you know, circle of like industry producing technology that is going into government and like stuff like facial facial recognition technology just just makes existing power structures much more difficult to contest. Do you use facial recognition on your phone? Uh no, I don't I don't have any apps or anything that use it. You don't know with your iPhone? Oh, no, I just have a pen. Yeah. Oh, you don't use it. What's going on, Jimmy? New York City Police Department uses facial recognition software to track down a Black Lives Matter activist accused of assault after allegedly shouting into a police officer's ear with a bullhorn. That's it? 
The man. What about that guy who punched Rick Moranis? You fucks. They found him. They did. Yeah, Where like last it? week, right really? in jail. But they did find him. How they find him? They have facial recognition, Joe. But he wear a mask. I don't know. Anyway, um, listen. I think what you're doing is very important, and I, I love the fact that you approach things the way you do. And that you you really are this idealistic person that's not trying to make money off of this stuff, and you're you're doing it because you think it's the right thing to do. And if there is a resistance, people like you are very important. You know, like what you what you've done by creating Signal, it's very important. There's not there's not a lot of other options, and there's no other options that I think are as secure or as uh, as viable. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. And uh, I support it, and I try to tell other people to use it as well. Um, last word. you have anything to say to everybody before we wrap this up? It's a lot of pressure. Sorry. <laughs> um, can, I, can I put out a public yeah. uh, plea for uh, yes. a project I'm trying to work on? Sure. Okay, I'm vaguely obsessed with uh, this thing that happened in the 60s. Um, are, you, are you familiar with uh, the Soviet space dogs? So the first animal in space oh, was okay. a dog. Yeah. Named Laika. Uh, Laika died in space, uh, sadly. The second animal in space was a dog called Strelka. Uh, Strelka went to space, made it back to Earth, and had puppies. Uh, Whoa. Those puppies can read minds. When Khrushchev came to visit JFK in 1965, he brought with him the ultimate insult gift, which was one of the puppies. That's an insult? Oh, dude. It's like, oh, do you have anything that's been to space? We have extra puppies. You know, do you want one? You know? That's an insult? Dude, it's the ultimate insult gift. Like, the United States had no space program, had never been, the Soviet Union was, like, way ahead of them. They're like, oh, we've just got extra animals that have been to space. Like, here, have one, you know? It's a puppy. Stop being so personal. That's what I would tell Kennedy. Just take the puppy, Well, Kennedy took the puppy. (laughs) Kennedy took the puppy. The puppy had a Cold War romance with one of Kennedy's dogs, and they had puppies. Oh, snap. That the Kennedys called the Pupniks. <laughs> uh, and the Pupniks uh, captivated the imagination of children across America uh, because uh, Jackie Kennedy said something. She was like, I don't know what we're going to do with the dogs, you know? And that ignited a spontaneous letter writing campaign from children across America who all requested one of the puppies. Uh, Jackie Kennedy selected two children in America whose names were Mark Bruce and Karen House. And she delivered two puppies to each of these people. Uh, one of them lived in uh, Missouri. The other lived in um, Illinois. Uh, and I have sort of been obsessed with the idea that those puppies had puppies and that those puppies had puppies and that somewhere in the American Midwest today are the descendants of the original animals in space. The first animal to go to space and survive. They've probably been watered down so heavily. Maybe, but like chihuahuas, German shepherds, and shit. Well, they were all. Um, they well, were there. Mutts. They are right there. They were mutts. They were um, random dogs that they found from around uh, the like spaceport because oh. they thought that they would be like tougher. Oh wow! Uh, and, but they were small, and uh, so yeah, I've been obsessed with the idea that the, the, these dogs could still be out there. And I've been trying to find the dogs. So I've been trying to track down these two people, uh, notably Karen House, because she got the female dog. And I think she's still alive, and I think she lives in the Chicago area. But I can't get in touch with her because I'm not, I don't know, I'm not an investigative journalist. I like, don't know how to do this or whatever. So if anybody knows anything about the whereabouts of Karen House or the descendants of the Soviet space dogs, I'm very interested. My, my goal is just to meet one, you know? How should someone get in touch with you? I'm on the internet. 
Yeah. Okay. Moxie. Just like that. Yeah. I'm on the internet. My name is Moxie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks, man. Thank I really you. appreciate it. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you.